the best place to buy tires? Where's the best repair shop for my hybrid? Questions about your car? Drive into Dobbs. With more than 40 locations, our team of technicians will get the job done right the first time. For deals you can use, click on gotodobbs.com now. For over two decades, E&B Granite has been St. Louis's trusted name for kitchen, bathroom, and outdoor space renovations that are guaranteed to bring new life into your living spaces. Their skilled team will provide you with personalized customer service, fast turnaround times, and prices you won't find with big box stores. Support local and schedule free consultation at enbgranite.com or call them at 314-645-9300 or better yet, stop by the showroom and explore their massive inventory. Again, that's enbgranite.com. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. This is the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise. Now here's BK and Ferrario. I think he just wants to stay, man. He wants to stay and see what happens. But but I, that's the only probably the only thing that we have to talk about is just uh, stay cool, think about everything that has been said or, or you know the contract wise, and and just study it, you know, and see what is best option for Yadi. That was Benji Molina on the fast lane yesterday. What an interview with the guys. If you missed any of it, 101ESPN.com. The 101 ESPN app is where you can find it. It is all brought to you by I Promise. We're going to react to this throughout the day today. I want to hear from you as well. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. The Rhino Shield mic drop feature is on the 101 ESPN app. All right, Alex, what did you make of the conversation yesterday between Benji and the guys? Because my biggest takeaway was that to me, it seems clear that ben- Yadier Molina wants to get his money and he's willing to wait that out, whether it be from the Cardinals or if it is from somewhere else. His priority, of course, is to stay here in St. Louis. We've heard that all along. But if the Cardinals are unwilling to meet his demands and somebody else out there is willing to do so, that's how I think you see him move on. I think you cut out the emotional part from him. I think the Cardinals have already, at least in lar- to a large degree, cut out that emotional thing. It is pure business in this situation and I think it could potentially get ugly down the road if it doesn't get resolved in the near future. My biggest takeaway is I'm confused as hell right now, BK, because the last two weeks, it's gone from hearing Yachty say it's not about the money. It's about being a contender, hearing his brother say it's about respect and being valued, hearing the Cardinals say that they've offered him, hearing the the agent say that the offer is ridiculous. Like, I don't know where I'm at right now. But I do think the biggest takeaway from hearing Benji talk yesterday is this comes down to respect. And it's what we've always talked about from the Cardinals perspective on this one. If the Cardinals want Yachty back, it's not about paying him market value. It's about paying him what Yachty feels is respectable to what he offers this club and what the Cardinals feel is respectable for what they value him at. And right now, if you go to the two years, $20 million, to me, that's a pretty respectable offer for a guy who's 38 years old and does everything for this team. So something we need to keep in mind, because I think when we talk about like NFL contracts, we've got a pretty good idea of what the benchmarks are, right? And we kind of have an idea for who here locally, what the contracts are on the Cardinals. We sometimes lose sight of what the contracts are across the state of baseball, especially at the catcher position. So right now, 
you look at the top paid catchers, the highest paid catchers in all of baseball, now that Yachty is a free agent, you've got Buster Posey at $19.9 million AAV. Yasmani Grandal is making $18 million per year from the White Sox. And then there is a massive gap. Those are the top two, and you will add at some point Real Muto up there with them. After that, it is James McCann at $10 million per year who just signed. He's the third highest paid catcher in all of baseball on an average salary basis. So you're telling me right now, a 38-year-old Yadier Molina, where does he fit in? It's either at or behind that mark. And so if I'm the Cardinals, I actually do kind of understand it from their perspective of, Yadi, we love you. We just paid you $20 million per year for the last three years when, let's be honest, he probably wasn't worth the highest paid catcher in all of baseball, which is what he was. We're going to give you a little bit more because we love you, because you're a legacy player, but we're not going to give you $15 million. We're not giving you $13 million. We'll give you what James McCann just got, or maybe a little bit below that. Maybe they give him what Salvador Perez is making, $8.5 million per year, and maybe there's some incentives in there to get it up to what James McCann is. But if I'm the Cardinals, I do get it. If they're unwilling to go to that $10, $15 million mark, I don't think he's that player anymore at this point in his career. Well, here's the thing, though. When you talk about the two highest paid catchers, Posey and Grandal, those guys are paid for their offense. Like That's where they contribute. They are legitimate four, five, six-hole hitters on a team. Yachty's paid for his defense. I mean, without question, he is one of the best still defensive catchers in the game. I think I would put Salvador Perez up there with him, and I would put Wilson Contreras up there, although a lot of people may not like to hear that. But those are the top defensive catchers. But if Yachty is 38 and he still is one of the top defensive catchers, if this guy still is playing 140 games, if this guy still is changing your pitching rotation from being superstar status in terms of stats in the national league and then being mediocre without him i think he might be worth this 10 million dollars that people are talking about and i know it's gonna suck i know you don't want to pay a 38 year old 10 million dollars but benji even talked about it he's not looking for that two-year guaranteed he'd be fine going year to year it's respect and i think you have to give him the respect because we were just talking about this in the office bk you take yadi out of this lineup not offensively, because offensively, I think the Cardinals would be fine. But if you take Yachty out of this lineup defensively, I think there are a lot of concerns if you're not putting somebody else in that position. So the the, the way you kind of measure some of this stuff, right, is wins above replacement. Like if you're just looking numerically, and I know we all have the eye test. We can watch what Yachty does, and we can hear it from the players on the field. They'll tell you clearly Yachty has a significant, significant value that we cannot measure based on what he does with the pitching staff, as you said, and what he's doing behind the plate defensively, which is really hard to measure. But if you do look at wins above replacement, which is something that these teams are doing, JT Real Muto over the last two years among all catchers leads Major League Baseball with seven and a half wins above replacement. Okay, it's really good at that position. Second is Yasmani Grandal. He's at seven over the last two years. Then there's a big drop off. He gets a five for Christian Vasquez with the Red Sox all the way down at number 22 in baseball among catchers is Yadier Molina. He is still a really good player, a really important piece to what the Cardinals are building here in St. Louis, but he's not the player he once was. We can all see it on the field. His hitting has taken a little bit of a step back. His defense, while still really good, I'm with you, 
is not what it once was. And so from the Cardinals perspective, again, putting on my Mo bow tie here, I'm giving their perspective on this. From the Cardinals perspective, they're looking at these cold calculated numbers and saying to themselves, how much worse are we without Yachty in the lineup? We're not really sure. We're not really sure because we haven't seen it, right? We haven't seen what it looks like without Yadier Molina in the lineup. And by the way, Benji Molina did talk about this with the guys yesterday. He was asked, hey, you know, what is what from your perspective, Benji, how much are the Cardinals losing without Yadi out there? Here's what he had to say to that. He's finding out how valuable. Mm-hmm. That's a big, big word. Valuable. He could be for another team's. When, when you're talking about a 37, 38-year-old and, you know, Wayne Ray, same way, when you're talking about these kids, they have five, six, seven teams behind them. Even when they're 38, that tells you how valuable, how valuable he is or they are to their team. And for us to have this guy in already and, and then let him go, it's going to be devastating for the fans. It's going to be devastating for everybody in St. Louis. So that was Benji talking about the value that other teams are seeing in Yadier Molina. By the way, we'll see on that. We'll see. This is, again, that's Benji Molina's perspective of other teams being interested. We haven't seen a whole lot of reports out there indicating that there is a lot of interest in Yadier Molina. So we'll see on that. Here is what he had to say, though, yesterday about the Cardinals finding out what they have with or without Yadier Molina. Do your lineup and then put Yadi in and then put whoever else you have after Yadi, right? And do you, when you do that lineup, you tell me which lineups make your team better and give you a better chance to win with Yadi in or with Yadi going away. And I think the Cardinals, that's probably what they're doing right now. And the question is, okay, what can Kisner bring us, right? Is Kisner's bat actually going to play? Is he defensively good enough to at least be replacement value back there? And if the answer to those questions is yes and yes, well, then they're probably looking at this and saying, yeah, name value wise, we're losing a lot with Yadier Molina not being here next year. But on the field production, maybe they don't view it that way. And if they don't, suddenly they're tacked of saying, hey, we'll give you the five million, but that's what we can do. It's already a hard time for us. We don't have a whole lot of money to spend. We would love to upgrade elsewhere. We just don't have it. Yachty, take it or leave it. This is what we've got. I can see how they get to that point. That being said, it's still Yachty or Molina, man. So I, I, I'm i between a rock and a hard place. I do understand. I, I think he should be back next year. And if there wasn't this pandemic and they weren't so strapped for cash, I think he would be back next year. But I also understand kind of both sides of view of this. He wants to get his money. He views that as his respect from the team. And they want to get him back at the number that they have on their terms. And I I don't know, given how much pride is on both sides of these negotiations, I don't know if there's going to be a middle ground here. Yeah, well, and look, that's the other hard part. And that's why I go back to what I said at the beginning. I'm confused because I've heard Yachty say it, that he's not about the money. It's about but winning championships. We know this, right? We get it. Yes, he is. But... From the, from the goat's mouth, he said he's not. He's, he's more concerned and he wants to be here and he wants to win championships. But it's also, if you think you deserve more than $10 million with what the market has shown, it's just not going to happen this year. And it's kind of what we go through with local teams, right? We watch this team day in and day out and we feel like this guy is more valuable than what people would take into consideration. And Benji's the same way. It's his brother. He watches them on a daily basis, 
But what do other people see? Because in baseball, if you're front office, you're valuing stats and you're valuing numbers and analytics rather than you're valuing the eye test of what he has offered you these last three to five years. Yeah, it's tough. It's a tough spot. And 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line from the 573. Guys, who's talking? Oh, yeah, it's Benji Molina. He's Yachty's brother. Imagine that. I know I love Yachty, but I just can't give him a legacy deal year after year after year. I think that is something to take into consideration here is that is obviously Benji Molina. He is the brother of Yadier Molina. So he's going to have that perspective. The Cardinals are going to come at it from a very different point of view. And somebody else on the text line from the 573, guys, it's always about the money. It's kind of where I'm at. Like, I know what Yadier Molina said, right? I know that he said this is not about the money. This is about the winning. Well, if it's about the winning, he's probably not coming back to St. Louis either, right? That's very true. So you kind of want it. To be about the money, but really what Cardinals fans should want is for it for both sides to be about emotions, because that's the way that Yadier Molina ends back up in St. Louis, or if other teams don't value him the way that he thinks that they will. Those are the two ways. It either has to be about emotion and both sides coming to the middle and the Cardinals saying, you know what? You're too valuable for us to let you walk on the open market. And Yadier Molina saying, you know what? I could go elsewhere, but this is where I belong. And when you end up at the middle of those two places, that's how you get a deal done. The other places, if it's not actually about the winning. Well, and you're also concerned about not being able to meet in that middle place because if you've burned some bridges right now with the ridiculous offer prior and you're not coming any closer to what Yachty wants, you might be already in soiled territory where you're not going to get back to being able to meet in the middle. At this point, do you think he's back after everything we've heard? still think he's back. I do. I I, I get it. I, I hear I hear what everyone is saying what do you think the contract is i think it's going to be the the i think it's going to be a a less than 10 million dollars hard number but it's going to be incentive ridden that can get him to 10 to 12 million dollars i think that's where i'm at and it's going to be an option i think the market isn't what he thinks and he ends up getting like six or seven million from the Cardinals, and there's incentives that can bring it up to ten. Because and he's back on a one-year deal. I do not think he's going to get the two years that he was looking for. I think for he'll either. get the option. But let's be honest: all of these teams that can get Yachty, they're starting to diminish fast. Yep. There's not many that are going to pay him that money. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Mizzou forward Javon Pickett is going to join us coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Huge game for him over the weekend against the Illini. We'll ask him all about it coming up in about 15 minutes. But coming up next, you thought the Cardinals were tough to talk about. Let's expand that to Major League Baseball as a whole. You're not going to want to miss these two quotes from American League and National League owners about what this season's going to look like. We'll tell you what they are coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. As the Major League Baseball negotiations go round, according to Bob Nightingale, the owners in MLBPA are at odds once again on when the 2021 season should begin. This comes from Bob Nightingale, quote, Major League Baseball executives and owners wanting players to be vaccinated before arriving to spring training would like the upcoming season to be delayed until at least May even if it means shortening the season to 140 or fewer games. 
we all knew this was coming eventually, right? Like we we knew that this wasn't going to be super easy spring trainings, February, uh, get out to your hometown markets by late March, playing the season by early April, ready to go 162 game season. We all knew that wasn't going to be the way this went, right, Ferrario? We all thought that there was labor peace. I don't know what you're talking about. I thought this was going to be uh, sunshines and rainbows, as everyone says. So... Here are a couple of owners that we should, pr- or a couple of owners, a couple of quotes from owners <laughs> from this story by Bob Nightingale that we should probably take a few minutes to discuss. This first one comes from a National League owner who says to Bob Nightingale, quote, I don't see a snowball's chance in hell that spring training can start with that, with protocols in place. I don't think there will be, or I think there will be significant pressure for players to get the vaccine before they go to spring training. And if that has been moved back to April and we play about 130 games, so be it. But to have 162 games, start spring training like in the normal time without players being vaccinated, that is just crazy to me. Do Florida and Arizona, with their cases spiking, really want teams with about 125 people in each organization coming to town without their vaccines yet? End quote. Again, that comes from a National League owner in we Major all, League Baseball. We all know which National League owner this was, right? It's got to be Ricketts. It's right? got to be Ricketts. He's using the word snowball's chance, and you're, you're crazy if you think that's true. This is Tom Rip- Ricketts and the biblical losses that they were talking about. So I wish this wasn't the way that things had to go, but I feel like we all have a pretty good idea of where this is headed. Owners are going to put this in with a negotiation for the designated hitter and the expanded playoffs. And by the way, Major League Baseball yesterday, literally yesterday, sold rights to its expanded postseason starting in 2022 to ESPN. A reminder, there is not yet expanded postseason to sell. That doesn't exist right now. So the owners have sold something that is not there. So what that means is that they're going to get that, whether it be now or next year, whenever the CBA is officially up and they have to start negotiating these things again, that's coming. So you would imagine the way that that works is that players get the DH, owners get the expanded playoffs. We all move along, but the players don't want to give up expanded playoffs for the DH. They would rather get something else in return. So this is negotiations. This is how it goes. Whatever. This is baseball and how it always seems to work. The problem is right now you have so many different things that need to be negotiated on both sides that they're treating this upcoming year as if it's basically another CBA negotiation. They're treating everything like it has to be that. And right now, unlike last year where there was the quote unquote March agreement, there is no agreement in place. They haven't done anything yet. They haven't agreed to protocols. They haven't agreed to what spring training looks like or what the season's going to look like. They've agreed to nothing So last year, the owners could look back on that and say, "Okay, well, 60 games, this is what the season is right now. We have no indication of what the 2021 season is going to look like until they come to some sort of an agreement in place. And we don't have any timeline on when that could be right now. Unfortunately, I think this is the life baseball fans are going to be living until after the 2021 season when the actual CBA is up for negotiation because they're going to renegotiate everything that comes into this play the length of the season, the DH, the expanded postseason, making sure that players are vaccinated before they open up. This is all about the dollar, and it will be all about the dollar. They're finding any way, being the owners, to shorten this season 
because they try or they're trying to save the money that they can while they have the opportunity to. So playing 150 games. Well, guess what? That saves you 12 games of money playing no spring training or pushing spring training back. All you're doing is you're expanding that wallet for these owners. They know it. The players don't know it. And that's why the expanded postseason, that's the playing chip that the players have that they're not willing to give up for something like a DH because every offseason is going to be a CBA negotiation until you get back to the table for the actual CBA and negotiation. And that's next offseason. Right. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line from the 636. Guys, why is it so hard for baseball? It seems like every other sport kind of has this figured out, and then there's baseball always trying to fight off to the side. This is my frustration about all of this. The NHL was able to bang out an entire negotiation for a full CBA, not for a season, for an extension of the CBA during the pandemic. And then they had they had like a week or two of kind of a back and forth where the owners were like, wait a second, this isn't what we wanted to agree to. And the players were like, well, you signed the dotted line, figure it mm-hmm. out. And then it kind of it came and it went. And now we've got the season as we all expected it to be for the NHL. Right. The NFL was able to go through its regular season and they just kind of played they figured it out as they went along the nba is starting as quick as they possibly can we've got preseason games going on right now the season starts like now it's about to begin for the nba so all of them have been able to figure it out meanwhile major league baseball the owners don't want to figure it out it feels like i would be surprised if they play more than 120 games next year i think that's where i'm at right now i i actually think If I were to put an over-under, I think I would set it at 100 games for next year because I think what the owners would like is for over the last two years to basically play one season of baseball. So 160 games over the 2020 and 2021 season, I think is probably what they're kind of pinpointing. Because then it writes the ship when you can get back to normal for the 2022 season of 162 games, full stadiums, you're riding the ship. Look, every organization has flaws like the NHL has gone through three lockouts in the last 20 years with the same commissioner you learned throughout that process but remember the salary cap was kind of instituted and players were guaranteed money owners had to pay regardless there were no loopholes with it the same can be said for the NBA but you have a commissioner in the NBA that understands the impact the same with the NFL the problem all goes back to Rob Manfred right now because yes he works for the owners we all understand commissioners work for the owners But look what Gary Bettman just did. He works for the owners, but he told the owners, there's no way out of this, and you're going to take more financial hits if you stay away for a season than anything. But Rob Manfred is just kind of sitting in the background in the corner, watching everyone fight and bicker, eating his popcorn like an evil villain. Because there's no other way to do it. You let them fight it out, and then you be the commissioner when you have to be the commissioner. And he's not even good at that role. No, he's not. (laughs) Once he gets involved, it seems to inflame things even more than it was previously. So... I don't have a whole lot of optimism about the situation. There's nothing they can really do right now, or, well, there should be, but there's not anything that they're going to do right now that's going to change this. And one thing that we will have to get into a little later on is, what does this mean for the Cardinals? Because we already know this last season, they didn't get a whole lot of evaluation on the players that they wanted to, right? We still have questions about Tyler O'Neill and Justin Williams and Lane Thomas. Can Paul DeYoung be that middle-of-the-order bat for them? We, we don't know because of COVID. Um, what are they going to do at catcher in the future? We don't know because they didn't seem to trust Andrew Kisner. 
which of these young starters are they going to lean on moving forward? We don't have a whole lot of answers there either. So there's a lot of questions that they still have that in a shortened season, that's going to make those answers even more difficult to get than if you would play the full 162. So this is going to have a significant effect on the Cardinals in particular as well. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. It seems like every time Javon Pickett is involved with the bragging rights game, he ends up becoming the MVP. Can he just treat every game that way? We'll talk about that with John Pickett, the Mizzou basketball forward, when he joins us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. A big win for the Missouri Tigers over the weekend against the Illinois Fighting Illini. The Tigers now find themselves ranked at number 16 in the updated top 25 poll. And with that in mind, we go out to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Happy to be joined by Javon Pickett, Mizzou basketball forward and Belleville East grad joining us here on the show. Javon, always appreciate the time, man. Congrats on the huge win over the weekend. How you doing today? Hey, thank you. I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, I'm doing good today. Um, very excited about, um, like you said, being ranked number 16. Um, just looking forward into the week. Javon, let's start with your big game. I don't know what it is about the Illini, but it seems like every time you guys play Illinois, it, it brings out the best in you. What is it about that team that ends up? I mean, you've you've dominated them over the last few years. What is it about them that brings that out of you? Uh, I'm not sure. I know, like, of course, being from there, uh, being from Illinois, but going to Mizzou, you know, just want to go out there and get that win. Um, it's just a win that that's like a must-have. It's a big rivalry game. You know, you want to bring that trophy back for the school, for the for the city of Mizzou, like, for Missouri. And so just want to go out there and do whatever you can to get the win. Javon, I'm curious now. You've seen it five times. We've seen it on social media, but uh, give me your thoughts on Conzo Martin's dance moves after victories. Uh, yeah, I was surprised by that. Uh, when we seen it, it was just it was just big excitement. You know, uh, you see it sometimes, but you don't see it that often from Coach. Well, let me ask you about Conzo then, Javon. I mean, was he the selling point for you to come to Mizzou? Because, of course, playing in East St. Louis, you know, you do have the Illinois side and that selling point of playing for the Fighting Illini. But was Conzo that, that big selling point for you at Mizzou? Uh, yeah, of course. You know, um, being around by the same area, um, you know, a lot of people that know him, they spoke highly of him. And then, you know, just being close from to home, that also was a plus, but yeah, just being, um, just hearing good things about him, uh, how true he is, how really is of a person that just stood out the most to me. And just, um, it was a no burner. We're talking to Mizzou forward Javon Pickett here on 101 ESPN. Javon, the thing that I hear the most about Conzo whenever I talk with, whether it be former players or guys that are around the program, is even more than being a coach, he's a guy that's almost like a life mentor for you guys. What is it that you've learned in your time at Mizzou from Conzo Martin, whether it be on or off of the court? You know, he, he always sending us things in our group chats, uh, making us watch videos on just trying to be the best man that we can be, um, ways to learn on the court, off the court, just with life, um, how to, like, when you have kids and stuff like that, how to be a man, how to um, just go about things this, the right way, just learning how to, just do everything in life, really. He He's a great mentor, someone that you would love to look up to having your circle. Um, he's 
he's not going to give it, like, he's not going to be, like, easy with you. He's going to tell you, like, what's actually right. He's not going to never, like, mislead you or anything. So, you know, it's just been great so far just to learn from him, um, continuing to learn from him and uh, all the things that he's teaching us. Javon, this being your third year with the Tigers, I'm curious just your view on this team because there's been ups and downs your time playing with Mizzou, but but what has changed, at least in the early going this season, and now being an undefeated team? Uh, you know, just going out there and just having fun playing. You know, we got a lot of guys that, um, that's that's been here. So we just going out there and communicating with each other, making sure that we get into the gym, um, coming back later on in the day, getting into the gym, just working, really just being smart, keeping our bodies right. Our coaches are doing an unbelievable job of telling us what to do. Uh, they're doing a great job on scout and practice. they they really getting on us, so that's just helping us out a lot. Javon, I heard a lot of good things about this team in the offseason, but you never know, right? You, you never know what it's going to look like once it gets onto the court. But, I mean, you guys are finally healthy with this group, and we always knew what the potential was if you guys could get there. Did you know you guys could be this good? Like in the offseason, if I came to Javon Pickett and said, hey, you guys are going to start the year 5-0 and with wins against Oregon and Illinois and a true road victory, would you have would you have believed me at that point in time? I would. Not probably like I would, of course, because I seen like what everybody was doing. Uh, even though we weren't here during the summer, it was a few people, but a lot of people were just making sure that they were staying healthy, um, getting into the gym, and we also was learning from each other while we was away. Uh, so, and I knew we had a couple guys that was coming back that that knew what was going on. We we got a transfer. He was really he uh, brings a lot of knowledge. We got two new players. Um, they help us out a lot. So I just knew like how special this team could be. Uh, you know, everybody loves to be around each other. The atmosphere here is is unbelievable right now. Uh, so I could believe it for sure. We're talking with the Mizzou basketball forward, Javon Pickett, here on 101 ESPN. Javon, you brought up the offseason. I've got to imagine this was the strangest time for you guys in trying to prepare for this season. Can you kind of take us behind the scenes? What was that like, both in terms of the protocols and trying to figure out, you know, what is the season going to look like? How do you guys get your workouts in? What was this offseason like for a college basketball player like yourself? You know, you're so used to being here during the summer, but a lot of guys were back at home, so we were doing a lot of Zoom calls. Um, we did a lot of Zoom calls on just, like, about life. We didn't really do – we did some things about basketball, but it was mainly about life. So that that helped us become more of a unit together. I feel like that helped us out tremendously, getting, getting that bond together. But on the workout end, you know, the coaches, they were just um, – just making sure that we stay, like, working out and stuff, cardio as well, doing things around where we were at, like in the gym or outside running or whatever, to make sure that when we came back, we would be fine. Then when we came back in August, um, you know, we just tried to get ready for the season. We knew that it would probably be a little weird or whether or not we were going to have it, but we just, once we came together, we just tried to lock in and just look forward to the season. And As a as a follow-up to that, Javon, sorry, um, what about in-season? Because we've seen a lot of college coaches and players talk about how strange this is, you know, not being able to do the normal team meals and be together as groups all the time. Has it been difficult as a player to to navigate through this, this weird season? Uh, yeah, it's been a little weird, but I feel like we're doing a good job of it, just making sure that we're um, following all the protocols, uh, making sure that we're wearing our mask at all times. 
um, it's it's a little weird, but at the same time, you just got to follow the rules, and I feel like we're doing a good job with that. And so uh, it's all right. It ain't too bad. Mizzou basketball forward Javon Pickett here with us on 101 ESPN. Javon, one thing that I noticed, uh, I, I mean, we've seen all the sports now, right? We've seen, we've watched the football games, and there's no fans in the stands. We watched the NBA Finals down in the Orlando bubble. We've seen all of that. I felt like one of the first times where I was like, damn, I wish there were really fans in the stands for this game was on Saturday for that Mizzou Illini game. What's it like for you as a player? Like, are you guys trying to create your own energy without fans in the stands? What What's the difference there compared to what is a typical season? Oh, yeah. You know, the fans, they would help out tremendously. But I feel like um, our whole team, staff, we've been doing a tremendous job on the sideline, encouraging one another. Um, bringing that energy, uh, we know that's not fans, so we got to bring that energy. Got to bring a lot of talk. You got to be excited for one another, and so I feel like we've been doing a good job of that. And so we just got to keep that up. But yeah, it's been a, it's been real weird without having the fans. But I feel like on the sideline, we're doing a pretty good job of bringing that energy for ourselves. So Javon, my final question, man. You know, we've seen the polls already where, where Mizzou is uh, is ranked in top twenty-five, which is huge. And I was reading something today just about the SEC and how Mizzou right now is that number one team. I don't know how much you guys pay attention to the conference and the other rosters, but if you size yourself up against these teams in the SEC, how do you view this team? Uh, I haven't really, like you said, I haven't really paid that much attention. Uh, to other rosters in the SEC or what we were ranked at so far. But, um, you know, I'm super excited about our team. You know, I know the pieces that we have. Uh, we're showing, we showcasing that right now. Um, so we're just going to continue to work. That's all it is, is just continue to work, um, learn, and just go about each day as trying to get to the championship or whatever we're trying to do, our goal. Last thing that I wanted to ask you about, Javon, I know over the offseason, we were able to catch up with Conzo Martin following the tragic death of George Floyd. And I know you guys talked a lot about that as a team. And you mentioned how a lot of your conversations in the offseason were more about life than they were about basketball. I'm going to leave this a little open-ended for you, and you can kind of take it where you would like. But what was that time like for you guys as a team, and how important was it for you to be able to have Conzo Martin kind of as a, as a sounding board to be able to talk about things, like you said, life as much as basketball at that time? Um, during that time, you know, a lot of people were really confused, uh, shaking up or whatever. But Coach, he did a great job of, like, bringing us together on those Zoom calls, um, really explaining, bringing bringing people in to talk to us. Like he brought in like a few people to come in to talk to us about um, life situations. Brought in police officers to talk to us about um, situations like that. And so then we really got deep into it, and we really like went back into like the Great Depression times and all of that stuff just to see like the like what it would be like even with COVID, um, the death of that. Coach did a coach did a great job. Our coaches did a great job of just bringing in people to really mentor us, show us what it, um, just try to help us overcome this. Uh, see, like, see the picture of it because you know you only see from the internet, but you know, actually going to learn, going back to read, watch videos. Um, he sent out a lot of videos and just inspiration stuff to help us, and that just helped our team bond a lot. Was there anything in particular that you remember from those conversations or something that Conzo sent you that really kind of struck with you? Uh, you know, we uh, – let me see. We 
talked about like uh, I forgot what it's called, but uh, uh, you know, just trying to get back, get to our community. Uh, he talked to us about that, like especially in Colombia, just making sure that we uh we just playing smart, um, getting out there, really trying to get out there with our community, reaching out, stuff like that, just to make sure that everything's good. Um, yeah, so being around here in Colombia, he just tried to make sure that we we were focused, we were locked in, trying to get back, um, really understand what was going on. And last thing for you, Javon, from that time and those conversations that you guys had, how much do you think that built the camaraderie, the um, the team building that we see now that has implemented itself onto the basketball court? How 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 big was that time for what you have now become as a team? Uh, that was huge for us. You know, that, that helped us get to know each other on another basis, on another level. You know, we got to learn like because everybody not from the same place a lot of people from different places so you got to see like how they felt about it their opinions on it um that just helped us out a lot and uh a lot of people agreed on the same things um so like i said that just helped us out a lot we really feel like brother we're really family here so that was tremendous for us He's Javon Pickett, Mizzou basketball forward. You can check him out in Mizzou's next upcoming game. They've got uh, Prairie View A&M, the Panthers, coming in on Friday. Javon, all the best to you and the team moving forward, man. Stay, stay, stay safe, stay healthy out there, and happy holidays to all of you guys as well. Thanks so much for the time today. All right, thank you. Happy holidays. Absolutely. That is Javon Pickett, Mizzou basketball forward and Belleville East grad here on 101 ESPN. This is a really fun team, man. It really is. They've got a lot of talent. They've got a lot of dudes that are easy to root for. And Javon Pickett is certainly one of those. He's found his role with this team, and he has had a heck of a season already. Fully expect him to continue that moving forward. I I find it really interesting what this offseason was for Mizzou basketball because we talked with Conzo Martin at the time over the summer and everything that was in kind of the backdrop to this summer. And he, he was pretty open and honest about how this this was tough for him and it was tough for his team. And they were having very real conversations, raw conversations. And I mean, you, I'm sure you've had some of these, whether it be about that or something else with your buddies, you become closer from those sorts of things. And it becomes more than just a bond of teammates. It becomes a bond of almost brothers. And I do wonder if that's a significant factor as to what we're watching right now with this team. They, they seem incredibly close in a way that you don't always see, especially with college basketball teams. And you talk about those bonds among teammates, and that's usually when you see teams that excel that maybe they don't look like, or they're not expected to be as good as they are, but when you're close like that, you can kind of do things that teams aren't able to do. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. We'll get into some questions and answers coming up next. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. We will get to our guy, Jeremy Rutherford, coming up here in just about 20 minutes or so. There was an article earlier today, top 25 players in the NHL under the age of 25. And it did not include any Blues players. We'll ask JR if he agrees with that assessment coming up at 1215. But let's start with this from the 314. Guys, did the Browns loss last night change your opinion of them at all? No, because, I mean, they lost to in a field goal. They, they lost because of clock management, right? Like I saw you tweeted out yesterday. 
If you're Marquise Brown, do you just drop at that one yard line to make sure Baltimore can solidify that win? Because there was still time on the clock. It's just not as much. And look, the defense just didn't get it done when they needed to get it done. But I could tell you this, that offense, that offense is dangerous. You said it yesterday with Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. But I mean, without Odell Beckham Jr., these guys are a little bit more open, and I feel like Baker Mayfield's got the handcuffs restricted from him. So no, it 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 actually makes my it makes my opinion of them stronger now in that AFC. I feel better about both of those teams after watching last night. In a strange way, it's kind of like yesterday we had Robert Mays on. He said after the Chiefs' close win against the Dolphins, he actually felt better right about the Chiefs Surprised than he did the hell previously. Out of me. And his, his explanation was basically, hey, if you can go down to Miami and on the road against a playoff team, throw three interceptions, two of which were, I mean, crazy, right? One was an unbelievable pick, and the other one was just kind of this fluke play that it was tipped. If you can win that game still, well, then it's going to be really, really hard to beat them, which we already knew, but even more so maybe than we knew previously. I felt the same way last night about this game with the Browns and the Ravens and that Lamar looked like Lamar again, finally. For so long, we've been saying, just run the damn ball. Stop trying to make him into something that he's not. He's not a great passer. He's never going to be. And that's okay. He's one of the best running quarterbacks, maybe the best running quarterback I've ever seen in my time watching the NFL. So utilize that. And last night, nine carries, 125 yards, two touchdowns on the ground. That's Lamar Jackson. Mm -hmm. That is what he brings to the table. So I felt really good about that. They finally turned things over to J.K. Dobbins. This defense looked solid for the most part. And then Cleveland, that is one of the most imposing running games that you will see. And Baker Mayfield finally looks good. He finally looks like the guy that he was sold as. So I feel good about both of those teams. I said it yesterday. The two teams that scare me the most if I'm a Chiefs fan, and I am, in the (laughs) AFC are the Cleveland Browns and the Tennessee Titans. They both have issues defensively, but I don't think you're beating the Chiefs with defense. There is no defense for a perfect pass, and Patrick Mahomes throws a hell of a lot of perfect passes. You do have to score. You do have to be able to run the ball. You do have to be able to control the clock against the Chiefs. And I think both the the Browns and the Titans can do that. I'm not sure there's anybody else in the AFC that can. So those are still the two teams that would scare me the most in the AFC if I'm a Chiefs fan. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line for questions and answers. Hey, guys, I saw news yesterday that Carlos Martinez is going to pitch this winner in the Dominican League. Do you think this is a sign that he got the message from the Cardinals that he's not guaranteed to have a spot in the rotation this year? Yeah, I think it look, I think with what happened of his demand of being in the rotation and then them saying, okay, fine, but you're not coming back till you're hundred percent. And when he did come back, he wasn't a hundred percent. He wasn't any good. I think Mo's comments to him and we don't know what his comments were to him post season. They were publicly though. We know what they were publicly publicly, but it definitely hit home with Carlos because there's no more of this. Oh, well I'm throwing on the side in the Dominican in the off season. No, you need to go out there and start showing that you can be a rotation pitcher. And frankly, this might hurt Carlos's Martinez to be a starter because if this doesn't interesting, why if this doesn't go well for him or if he finds a way to get injured once again, because look, every time he's been a starter since his first injury, he's been getting injured. So if this is an off season of him trying to be a starter and then he's not able to actually pitch to form that they're hoping for. 
this might force the Cardinals hand into saying, okay, look, Carlos, you're a bullpen pitcher. What is the thing, though, that the Cardinals say whenever he does tend to get injured? More often than not, whether it be publicly or privately and you see the reports about it, it's t- it tends to be something about, hey, he didn't take the offseason throwing program as seriously as he probably should have. Mm-hmm. And that's how it leads to the injuries in season, right? A lot of the time, this is not always the case, but a lot of the time, especially if you get hurt in spring training, it's a sign that something went wrong with your winter program, right? Whether it be your throwing program or your strength program, whatever it is, there was something that went wrong there a lot of the time. Not always the case. That has been the case a lot for Carlos Martinez. This, to me... If I'm a Cardinals fan, makes me feel really good about Carlos Martinez, or at least better about Carlos, because it means he's taking things seriously in the offseason. He hasn't done this since 2015. The last time that he pitched down in the Dominican Winter League was prior to the 2015 regular Cardinals season. I finally have at least an indication that he's going to take this seriously. He's going to be throwing. He's going to be in shape whenever he gets back to Cardinal spring training. So for me, this is a real positive and it makes me feel like he knows there's going to be a real competition for him to be able to be in the rotation next year. Makes me at least a little more optimistic than I was previously about him for next season. I do still think though that going into spring training, Carlos has got to cover a lot of ground to even get back into consideration for that rotation. I think he is so far down in that depth chart in John Mozeliak's eyes. That Who do you he, think's above him right now? I think obviously Gomber's above him. I think Ponce is above him. And if it happens, which I don't think we believe it's going to happen, but I think Wayno's still in front of Like, I, I think Carlos is the last resort option for rotation options because of everything that has happened over the last few years in John Mosellock's eyes. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. I still think he's probably right in that group with Ponce, but I, I see where you're coming from for sure. Coming up here in about 15 minutes or so, how many guys on this Blues team do you think are top 25 players in the NHL that are currently under the age of 25? ESPN says zero. We will ask Jeremy Rutherford about that coming up at 12.15. But coming up next... Are the Cardinals actually ready to commit to playing the matchups? If they are, they might have an outfield that's a little better than you think. We'll talk about it coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. They don't have starting outfielders. They have outfielders they start. So start more of them and play the matchups, and then then you might be able to get a read on what more guys can do, and you might stumble into one. But you have to be willing to make some changes if you're not going to bring someone else in from the outside. I mean, I think it'd be great if they go get Eddie Rosario. Then you got a starting outfielder. But if they're not going to do that because they feel like they have to find out what they have, then you actually have to go find out what you have. You can't say one thing and keep doing the other. That was Ben Fredrickson on the best podcast in baseball, talking about the Cardinals potentially playing the matchups. And Ferrario, I don't know how long we've been talking about this, but it's been too long. (laughs) A long time. The Cardinals don't like doing this. They want to have starting outfielders. They want to start Harrison Bader every day in center field. They want to be able to start Dexter Fowler every day in right field and start Dylan Carlson every day in left field, right? That should be their plan based on what they've done in the past for this upcoming year. But they also have to find out a way to get Tyler O'Neill into the mix. They want to find out what they have in Lane Thomas. And so in the past, they've gone that route of just giving three guys every day playing opportunities. But then he gets stuck. 
And that's how we end up with Tyler O'Neill over the course of three seasons having 450 plate appearances. This is how you end up trading Randy Rosarena down to Tampa Bay without really knowing what Randy Rosarena is. This is how you cycle through guys like Randall Gritchick and uh, Tommy Pham, Stephen Piscotti. All of these guys end up going through this meat grinder that is the Cardinals outfielder. So if the Cardinals want to get cheap in the outfield, but they also want to improve in terms of what the production is that they're get, they're getting, there is one way to do it. There is. It's playing these matchups and actually going with platoons. If the Dodgers and the Rays, who just met in the World Series, can do this, if they're willing to do it, then by God, the Cardinals should be willing to do it. Do you think that this is something that they will actually explore this upcoming season? I do because I don't think there's any way that you can continue to sell playing guys every day. Like the selling point is gone, in my opinion, for playing Tyler O'Neill every day against both righties and lefties. The selling point is gone for Harrison Bader. The only one that you can sell is Dylan Carlson, because you got to know that this guy is an everyday player. And of course, Dexter Fowler, because he was one of your best hitters last season. And I believe that they're at least going to try it now I don't know if they're going to stick with it because let's be honest the Cardinals rarely stick with something they're always going to alter their 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 strategies on the field but Mo said it in the media zoom with all of us a couple of weeks ago he said that he's not opposed to the platoon idea if there are if there are platoon players that make sense for the Cardinals he said they're going to take those numbers and go with it because like it or not the Cardinals do go the analytical route it's not so much of the eye test for them it's analytics and Yes, they've gone with Tyler O'Neill, but Tyler O'Neill was kind of the lone guy for a while because Lane Thomas was hit with COVID and you didn't have many other options. You were trying to take your time with Dylan Carlson. So I believe that the platoon is a legitimate option for this upcoming season. The problem is, are you going to add somebody else to help with that platoon? Because I don't know if the guys you have are the guys that you can platoon every game this season. So there is, against left-handed pitching, I think they're fine with what they have right now. Dylan Carlson should be playing every day against lefties. There's a small sample size in terms of what he's done against them, so it's hard to know if he's actually good or not. But he's going to play every day regardless, whoever the pitcher is that they're going up against. Dylan Carlson, put him in left field. Unless he needs a break, he's going to be out there every day. He should be starting all the time. Harrison Bader's one redeeming quality offensively is that he mashes against left-handed pitching. Over the last three years, he actually has an 825 OPS against lefties. That's not just pretty good. That's like one of the best Cardinals hitters. So Harrison Bader should be starting in center every day whenever you're going up against a left-handed pitcher. If there is a lefty that comes in out of the bullpen, Harrison Bader should get opportunities to pinch hit in that spot. That's when you play Bader. You do not put him out there more often than not against righties. Lane Thomas is pretty good against left-handed pitching as well. He has a 789 OPS in his career against him. Small sample size alert, but good nonetheless. So against lefties, you could go out there every day with Carlson, Bader, and Thomas. You're really good defensively with those three. And based on the production that we've seen so far, that's a pretty good outfield for you. And like I said, good defensively as well. Against righties is where things get interesting. Again, you're going to start Carlson every day in left Mm -hmm. field. You go over to center field and it gets a little bit more difficult. You probably could start O'Neill and Thomas as some kind of a platoon in center. And then in right field, this is where you're probably going to see the majority of Dexter Fowler's opportunities coming is against the right-handed pitching. 
But I also think that's where you could have a spot for that free agent mm-hmm. if you bring one in. So you basically got five guys for three spots. Carlson, O'Neal, Lane Thomas, Fowler, and whoever that free agent is. But again, you're not playing Bader more often than not against righties. And that's the part that gets me and why I feel like they'll use the platoon, but they're going to use the platoon in-house. They're not going to go spend money on somebody that can hit righties. Because in their eyes, you got Fowler, you have Bader, Thomas, O'Neal, and let's also remember Justin Williams, the left-handed power hitter that everyone continues to talk about. As much as the Cardinals say they're going to go with the platoon and say they'll look into it and we'll go with what the analytics say, I don't see this team saying we need to go get somebody who can mash righties because we need somebody else because we can't play Bader, we can't play Thomas, O'Neal, all of this. They're going to say they're not great, but we need them in that spot because we're not, they're going to spend money elsewhere. And that's what this comes down to. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line to that point, Alex from the three, one, four. So if the Cardinals go with the platoon, then they're saying that they know what they currently have in the outfield and it's not everyday players. You can't find out quote what these guys are if you're platooning them. So which way is it? You know what they are or you don't. It's a really interesting question, and I think there are certain guys that we do know at this point what they are. We know what Harrison Bader is. He can hit lefties. He can't hit righties. He's really good defensively. You know he can play every day in center field defensively, but you don't want to play him every day in center field offensively. So play him against lefties. Don't play him against righties. It's very simple. Dylan Carlson, you're still finding out. Can he hit righties and lefties? We don't know yet. So let's find out. Play him every day in left field. And then it comes down to a question of, okay, are you willing to admit that already on Tyler O'Neill and Lane Thomas? Do you think that they have significant splits? Are they everyday players? Are they not? My answer would just be this. 73% of the plate appearances come against right-handed pitching. So far in his appearances against lefties, O'Neill has not been good. He has not been good against lefties in his career. Again, pretty small sample size, but a 640 OPS. That's like... Harrison Bader bad against uh, against righties. Mm-hmm. You don't want him out there in those opportunities. So exclusively play him against righties. It's three quarters of your uh, plate appearances that are going to come against that style of pitching. So you're not making a significant um, downgrade in terms of what you believe in Tyler O'Neill, but you're giving him opportunities against the pitchers that he has a better chance to hit against. So I actually think confidence wise, you can make a case that this would help their play their playing time it would help them as they go on the field being a little bit more confident whenever they're out there so i i think there's every reason to believe that this is not only what they should do but hopefully what they will do next year and it also comes to the fact of yeah we're hearing or seeing the cardinals say that we don't have everyday outfielders i think we've seen that over the last three years they're not admitting it and i don't know if a platoon is admitting that they don't have everyday outfielders they do in their eyes but maybe it's everyday in this way but it's also the finances. Yeah, there's a guy out there that is an everyday player in George Springer, but you're not going to spend the money on that right now. And can you get George Springer-like production from Harrison Bader against lefties and Jock Peterson against righties? The answer is yes. I know that sounds crazy, but mm-hmm. Harrison Bader's OPS against left or uh, against um, lefties is really good. Mm-hmm. It is George Springer-esque. So if you can have him against the lefties and Jock Peterson who crushes right-handed pitching and you just don't let them play against the guys that typically make them look worse, well, then now you're getting 
similar production for a tenth of the cost. And that's what the Cardinals are trying to do this offseason. I know it sounds like we're penny pinching right now, and that's exactly what it <laughs> that's is. exactly what we're doing. But this is the way that you're able to create a better outfield by having multiple guys playing in multiple positions. This is what the Rays and the Dodgers did in their route to the World Series last year. If they can do it and they're paying for some of these guys, the Dodgers in particular, well, then why can't the Cardinals do well, this? And let's be honest, the Dodgers did do this. I mean, Chris Taylor was playing sometime. Yeah. Jack Peterson was playing. A.J. Pollock was playing. They're not doing that with Mookie Betts and Cody Bellinger. Because they're everyday players. Because they're everyday players. You're hoping, as a Cardinals fan and as a Cardinals organization, that Dylan Carlson becomes that everyday player. And once Dexter Fowler's $18 million are off the books, you're hoping that you can find another everyday outfielder. But right now, I don't think there's anything wrong with having two guys that are everyday outfielders when it comes to the sp- Splits because that's what baseball's doing. And frankly, it's the cost effective way of doing it if you get one guy against righties and one guy against lefties. Yeah, it's especially for this team right now. I would prefer going the route of George Springer. Of course, I'm all everyone would. would love to have him on this baseball team next year. It's not going to happen. So realistically <laughs> speaking, that's when you look at the outfielders that are available on the market. Eddie Rosario, Kyle Schwarber. We all know the names at this point and which one of them best helps you in the specific spot that you need it. And what they need help with right now is outfield offensive production against righties. Mm -hmm. If you can get that from one outfielder that is out there on the free agent market, I think you're pretty good against lefties with Carlson, Bader, and Thomas in the outfield. I think you're fine there. And that'll give you opportunities to be able to find out what Lane Thomas is, too. Maybe he's a fourth outfielder that plays against lefties. That's fine. You can have that guy on your roster. Now you got to find the guy that's going to play 70% of the time against those well, righties. And that's the big thing, too, BK. I mean, there were, there were no, other than George Springer, there were no everyday outfielders available on this market. I mean, Eddie Rosario, you can look at and say, yeah, he's an everyday player. But we've looked at the numbers. We've talked with guys from Minnesota. He's going to be a liability every once in a while for you. And I don't know if that's the way you go. Like, there's no obvious everyday player in that free agent market. Not in the market that the Cardinals are shopping at, for yeah. sure. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's 12:14. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Coming up next, our guy Jeremy Rutherford, Blues Insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletics, going to join us. What is the Blues playing with Vince Dunn? I know Alex has some questions about this. We'll ask our guy Jeremy Rutherford when he joins us next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Excited to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Jeremy Rutherford joining us here on the show. Blues insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. Jerry, always appreciate the time, man. How you doing today? Doing well, doing well. How are you guys doing? Doing fantastic. So let's start out with the latest with the NHL. What is? What are you hearing? How long is it going to be before we officially know what this upcoming season is going to look like? Well, I think uh, you know, depending on the negotiations in terms of uh, what they're going to decide on, on the protocols and the divisions, uh, I think that we could be talking about just a few days. I know my colleague at the Athletic, Pierre LeBrun. Uh, and Scott Burnside, they've been on top of this. And uh, last week, they were saying by the end of this week, we could have a vote for the Board of Governors and then uh, with the uh, players, of course, with the PA. So 
Uh, nothing that's come out in the last 24 hours that suggests it's imminent, but uh, the timetable uh, that I've, I've read with uh, their work and then also uh, making some of my own phone calls, uh, it looks like the end of the week could be a possibility. Okay, with that being said, then, JR, I'm kind of curious. When do you think is the NHL going to kind of expedite everything? Because, of course, they're talking January 13th when it comes to the schedule and looking forward to when the season actually begins and, and what those schedules are going to look like, or are those going to take a little bit of time? No, Alex, I think behind the scenes they've been working uh, diligently on uh, the schedule and, uh, and, and to iron out the kinks. We know that last week there was a little bit of uh, confusion on which division some of these teams might be in. Uh, I reported that uh, the Blues, as of uh, last week, uh, were in the Pacific. At first it looked like Minnesota would be in the Central Division. Now it appears they might go to the Pacific uh, rumblings that Dallas would be the team that would go to the Central. And then in terms of uh, getting the season under way uh, everything is pointing to training camp starting on january 3rd uh, and then of course uh, the season starting on january 13th so could that get pushed back if it takes them a little bit longer to get this uh, ratified certainly uh, but i think the, the the details that you're talking about there i think they've got uh, fairly settled and squared away just as long as they can get this to a vote and get it ratified. So, Jared, I guess the kind of the last lingering question this offseason for the Blues is what in the world is going on with Vince Dunn? I know we've asked you about this a million different times at this point, but it's December 15th. We're talking about the season potentially starting like a month from now, and he just still hasn't signed his contract. I mean, do, do we have any update on this situation? Is there any reason to believe that there's a signing coming soon? What, what's going on here? Well, I, I certainly think there's a possibility. Look, Vince Dunn is going to see what he's been seeing really for months and see that there's just no way out with no leverage to negotiate a better deal with the St. Louis Blues. We've talked about the fact that he's a restricted free agent without arbitration rights. Those arbitration cases uh, were held a, a month or so ago for a lot of players around. Jerry, are you there with us, buddy? We'll go ahead, go ahead and get JR back on the line here in a second. I, I I think Vince Dunn is probably the single biggest question that still remains to be answered for the Blues because he's a guy that we all know when right, when healthy, when good to go, he is easily going to be on the top three pairings of the left-sided defensive pairings. He, he's going to be that guy. The question is, is he going to be in camp on time? Is he good with his contract situation? And if not... Are there going to be some young guys that potentially take that spot from Vince Dunn over on that left side? They've got a couple of them. Nico Mikola is one. Uh, Perunovic is another. We'll see if either of them are ready to go. But let's get back to Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider here on 101 ESPN. Jer, we lost you there for a minute, but you were kind of continuing on the contract status with Vince Dunn and how he's going to look around and see that there's really nothing new for him there. Can you continue from there? Yeah, my apologies, guys. And that's the situation with, with Vince Dunn, and it's been that that way all along. I mean, nothing has changed. This is a player who doesn't have arbitration rights, so really he didn't have any leverage. And it's just the type of year uh, Jaden Schwartz, some other players have been through this where uh, you just didn't really have a, a leg to stand on. So uh, the Blues are, you know, really don't have to put any pressure on him. Vince Dunn knows when the season is going to start. And now with uh, the, the possibility of the uh, everything getting ratified uh, this week and uh, training camp announced Vince Dunn is going to want to be here for many of the reasons that uh, Jamie Rivers has touched on. There's a lot of guys who can play that position. Uh, Vince Dunn certainly doesn't want to miss any time. 
So uh, he's just got a couple weeks, it appears, to get a deal done and, and get himself into camp on time. Yeah, that's where I'm at with this one, Jr. You know, and this is more just my opinion, but you would imagine, and we both know Doug Armstrong, anything that kind of takes this long for a player it kind of starts to hurt the relationship a little bit. And I know Vince Dunn's young and he really has no leverage, but with guys like Mikola and Perunovic on the back end, and of course where you have Gunnarsson and you have this depth at defense, you kind of wonder if you get to the point, and of course whatever happens with Alexander Steen's future, you wonder if they if they move Vince Dunn and stick with some of the guys that they have right now. They certainly could. The only thing is his, his uh, price tag right now is, is just tremendous. Let's just say they get him for uh, $2.2525 million. You know, that's great for what Vince Dunn provides, and that's double-digit goals and some uh, good defense on the third pair. His analytics have been uh, terrific. You know, I'm with you that what happens if he doesn't show up in camp and uh, Scott Perinovich or Nico Mikula take off and play really well, hey, that can happen. Anything uh, can happen. But I think Vince Dunn uh, knows where his uh, position, his standing is on this team, and once he gets to camp, I'm sure he can uh, regain it. But, yeah, you start to put yourself in a, in a difficult situation if you're not here and you're not skating. We all know that uh, you know if you, if you miss time, it's not just getting back and taking a couple days and now you're up to speed. Uh, that can take weeks and sometimes even months for players to catch up. We're talking with Jeremy Rutherford here on 101 ESPN. Blues insider for 101 ESPN and The Athletic. Give him a follow on Twitter at JP Rutherford. All right, JR, I wanted to ask you about this because earlier today I was reading over on ESPN.com. They had a ranking of the NHL's top 25 players in the league under the age of 25. And I was surprised not to see Robert Thomas on this list. There was no Blues players on this list. Of course, Thomas, the most likely of the Blues players. They had 16 forwards in this top 25, and none of them were Robert Thomas. Do you feel like he is, uh, are, are we overrating what he is locally? Or do you think that for you, he would probably make a list like this? No, um, and I'd have to see the list in its entirety. Sure. But to me, Robert Thomas would be on a list like that. We have a story up at The Athletic today about you know how we would rebuild, not rebuild, but how would we continue building the Blues and, and moving into the future. And somebody mentioned in the comment section, it looks like Robert Thomas could be a low 1A uh, center. Uh, and, and I think that's a compliment because you're calling Robert Thomas a top line center, but uh, they put the adjective low in there. And I understand we don't know what his future is, but to me, and getting back to your question about what people around the league think about him, I don't think they've seen enough of him, even though he won a uh, Stanley Cup with the St. Louis Blues, even though he's done nothing but win in his career, uh, going back to prior prior than the Blues, I think it's a situation where he's played third-line type role, uh, third-line minutes. I think it's looking forward uh, a situation where Robert Thomas, you give him better line mates, let's say he's got a healthy Tarasenko, uh, and let's say he's uh, matured physically. Craig Berube and Doug Armstrong questioned uh, his uh, fitness uh, up to date and said that he could uh, serve himself well by, by being in, in better condition. So if you have a Robert Thomas who's in real good shape playing with better line mates i think the sky is the absolute ceiling for this guy he, he's terrific we saw uh, glimpses of it last year and i think it's only going to get better with those two things that i mentioned yeah, jr i want to ask you about that article because i was a little surprised when you go through that and a lot of the the analysts on that article talked about how you know of course this blues window still is wide open but in two to three years you could be looking at kind of resetting the clock and i'm wondering is that more of it and again this is down the road we're, we're kind of looking at this open-handed 
But is that resetting the clock that's going to be a hard reset, or is it just a matter of finding a couple of players and transitioning over? Yeah, I don't know about a hard reset because you'll have a guy like Colton Pareko probably signed uh, long-term at that point. You'll have a Robert Thomas. Look, if you've got a number one defenseman, and he potentially is that Colton Pareko, and you've got a number one center in Robert Thomas, and let's say you know Bennington is, is still your goalie, uh, you got to like Tory Krug and some of these uh, other guys still at that point in their career, 32 years old, they're still going to be good players. But I think the Blues will be going through some sort of a transition. You'll have uh, the end of the contract tracks for O'Reilly and Tarasenko. Nobody knows which direction you'll go at that point. But the key here is you'll still have Shen, Krug, and Justin Falk in three years. You'll still have four years left on each of those contracts. That's nearly $20 million. That's a fourth of what the cap is right now tied into guys who will be in their early 30s. So I I think that now is the time. You know, we we always say that it's cliche, uh, but I do think that there is a bit of a window here, two to three years. Uh, Krug coming in really helped that. I thought that that window would close if Petrangelo left, but Doug Armstrong, a great plan B. And so I think the window is now for a couple years. And then I I do see some sort of uh, transitioning, uh, but I don't think that it's a hard reset. As a follow-up to that, JR, then, you know, of course, that a lot of that comes through the draft and making sure you stockpile in the minors. And we found, are we new in the offseason? Bill Armstrong moves over to the Arizona Coyotes, and we just found out yesterday Ryan Miller takes over that job. I'm a little curious because you know Ryan better than I do. Is he going to be taking over that draft, or is that still to be determined who's going to be in charge of that? No, definitely not. Uh, he he has uh, become the assistant general manager, which uh, fills the position left by Bill Armstrong when, when Bill went to Arizona, as you touched on. Uh, but Bill had a unique role, not too many in the NHL, where you're uh, in charge of the amateur scouting and also you're an assistant GM who, who did some work with the big club. And so uh, what they've done here is uh, Ryan Miller's been promoted to assistant general manager, but he's more of a, a cap guy, a contract guy. That's what he's been doing for the better part of his 10 years with the Blues. Uh, so Doug Armstrong, last I heard on the amateur scouting side is that they would uh, address that in the offseason and, uh, and and make that higher unless they're staying in-house. So two separate roles and Ryan Miller won't be part of that uh, amateur drafting side. Last question that I had for you, JR. We've talked a lot about Jordan Cairo this offseason and what's ahead for him in the 2021 season. Do you think it's a foregone conclusion right now that the Blues are going to protect him next season or does he need a big year this year for them to do that? Yeah, I wouldn't say foregone, but I, I think that they will. I think it's a situation where uh, Corey Pronman's touched on it in The Athletic. We we touched on it in the article this morning. You know, the cupboard is pretty bare in terms of prospects. You, you don't know if Clem Costin will hit. You have a, a youngster coming up, Nikita Alexandrov. Uh, there's a couple in the system. Uh, but the Blues don't have many, and they certainly don't have a guy like Kairu with the speed. They've put a little bit of time into him, getting him uh, into the uh, NHL lineup, but I think he's going to need more to show uh, how valuable he could be in the future. But uh, I think that because of uh, not having a lot in the system and because of that speed element that Jordan Kairu brings, you just can't afford to lose a young, cheap guy like that. It doesn't look like the the, the salary cap's going to go up for the next couple of years. A guy like Kairou could be a big benefit for you if he's got that talent and doesn't cost you much. Therefore, I think you have to protect him. He's Jeremy Rutherford. You can find his work over on The Athletic. Had a great piece earlier today that we discussed a bit here about what they would do, the Athletics NHL writers would do if they were in charge of the Blues. Again, you can find that over on The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. JR, always appreciate the time, my friend. 
friend. All the best to you and the family. I will be back. I will be back next week, but uh, we will talk to you then. Happy holidays to you and yours. You guys too. Thanks a lot. Absolutely. That's Jeremy Rutherford here on 101 ESPN. I had to think for a second there. Am I back next Tuesday? Am I not back next Tuesday? Do you know something I don't know? Are you getting another promotion, BK? No. No, I can promise you guys that is not in the works. For Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. There is a little bit of big news in the NBA. Giannis Antetokounmpo has officially signed his max extension with the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, The two-time MVP is signing a five-year, $228 million extension with the Milwaukee Bucks. It is the largest deal in the history of the NBA. Again, five years, $228 million, keeping Giannis Antetokounmpo in Milwaukee for the next five years. This is a really, really good story for the NBA. Because for as much as we've talked so much about player empowerment and these stars going elsewhere and more often than not ending up leaving the middle of the country and going to one of the coasts, right? Anthony Davis works his way out of New Orleans, ends up in L.A. You see a guy like KD go from OKC, ends up out in uh, Golden State. These guys end up wanting to leave and going to the coast, big, big markets. Giannis is the opposite. He's willing to stay in Milwaukee in one of the smallest markets in the NBA. And I think that's a really good thing for the league because I feel like far too often these smaller market teams don't get to keep their stars as long as they should. You think it's a good thing, but I guarantee you all of those owners and general managers on those big league or those big teams on the East and West Coast are thinking, damn, Giannis. Of course. <laughs> Come on, man. Of course. And I, I hope Luca stays in Dallas. Same thing, oh, right? Yeah. Like, I, I, wanna, I know that's not a small market the way that we think of small markets like St. Louis or Milwaukee, Minnesota, all of that. But having guys willing to stay in these Midwest or middle of the country yeah. cities is really good for your league. It, it can't dim- just be an East and West Coast it thing. Diminishes the, it diminishes the view of the player, I think, the more they move around, right? Like, when you're moving around like that, like, of course, LeBron still is there, but... I mean, look at what happened with Carmelo Anthony. When you started moving around more, you start to diminish that value of the player, I feel like. And it's just tougher for fans, right? Like, if I'm I'm a Bucs fan, this is is maybe the greatest day in the history of the franchise. Hell yeah. Seriously, Mm -hmm. it it, it is that big because you were able to keep the guy in your market that always leaves. Mm -hmm. He always leaves. LeBron James leaves Cleveland, goes to Miami. Again, Anthony Davis leaves New Orleans, goes to L.A. These guys do not stay like this. So for them to be able to have him back is absolutely massive. So cool, cool deal for the Milwaukee Bucks. Good thing for the NBA, in my opinion, Giannis Antetokounmpo going to be in Milwaukee for at least the next five years. Coming up next, Lamar Jackson reminded all of us what he's capable of doing last night. And I've got some questions as to exactly what he was doing last night. We'll get into that coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Downfield throws. It's caught at the 20. Wide open is Brown. He goes from the 10 to the 5. It's a touchdown. Cleveland is thrown this game right into a chaos with their score and then Baltimore comes right back and they get the touchdown pass of 44 yards. It was Kevin Harlan last night. You heard it right here on 101 ESPN as the Ravens take down the Browns, the team that I thought was ultimately going to win the AFC North. It looks like that is unlikely to happen at this point. Huge win for the Ravens, keeping themselves very much alive in the playoff race. The Ravens, as of today, are eighth in the AFC postseason, about tiebreaker 
um, away from being in the playoffs. They're at the same record right now as the Dolphins. The Dolphins would win that tiebreaker for the final spot in the AFC playoffs. The Browns, if the season ended today, would now be the fifth seed in the AFC. Let's start out talking about Lamar Jackson, the player. Then we'll get into Lamar Jackson and what the hell happened in that game. That, to me, was a reminder of what Lamar Jackson can be when he's on. When the Ravens coaches stop trying to force him into something that he's not and allow him to be Lamar Jackson, the playmaker, that's how good he can be. He is an unbelievable playmaker. He just isn't a great thrower of the football at this point in his career, and I don't think he's ever going to be that. And that's fine. He doesn't have to be a great passer to be able to be a tremendous player. That is not the way that he's going to win in the NFL. But if you see something like you saw last night, this Ravens team can still be really good, albeit still probably not quite on that cusp of being a Super Bowl contender for me this year. Yeah, look, Lamar showed me up because I've been saying that he really hasn't lived up to what we saw last year as an MVP. But I mean, frankly, his arm even showed me up yesterday because that that pass to Marquise uh, Brown for the touchdown to take the lead. That was about as good of a pass as you'll see from Lamar Jackson. But I mean, he drove down that field for the game winning field goal with great passes to Mark Andrews on play action and on the move and off his front foot. I mean, it was all stuff that we haven't seen in this little spurt and slump of Lamar Jackson. But look, Lamar Jackson's going to be as good as that offensive line. And I felt like that was their best game as an offensive line since Ronnie Stanley went down. Yeah. And unfortunately, Baltimore is is falling to that, to where their offensive line has been struggling. And look, Lamar Jackson's going to take sacks. He's going to fall off. But he's able to rebound from that, and he has the guys that can be weapons it's just inconsistency more than anything. So I've changed my mind on Baltimore. I think they can seriously contend in the playoffs, but it's also kind of like the Cleveland Browns. It's inconsistency. What, yeah. what Lamar Jackson are we going to get? What Baker Mayfield are we going to get? When you say contend in the playoffs, what do you mean by that? I like, mean, at least be... win a game. Okay. I don't mean, no, I, I don't mean because there are obvious better teams in the AFC. I think Pittsburgh is a little bit better. I don't know anymore now with what we've seen, but obviously Kansas City and Buffalo are the two elite teams, but I do think Baltimore can at least win a game in the playoffs with the way that they played. If they were to get into the postseason at that final spot, they would end up playing probably the Steelers or the Bills in the first round. I... I could see them maybe winning one of the one of those games. Yeah. I could certainly see them beating the Steelers with what the Steelers are right now. I, I think that's where it would end, though. Yeah. I think you would get to the second round. They would play the Chiefs in Kansas City, and it'd be over for the Ravens. And that's probably the ceiling for what their season's going to be. And that's okay. That's mm-hmm. fine. You know, if that's your follow-up to what last year was, you're fine with it. Um, let's get into the more interesting, in my opinion, storyline from last oh. night, though. Yes, very interesting. Lamar Jackson disappears from the game for like five, ten minutes of game time. <laughs> um, and then magically, with two minutes left, two-minute warning, Trace McSorley hurts his, in, it hurts his knee, looks like it's probably an ACL injury for him. And suddenly, coming out from the locker room, you see this galloping Lamar Jackson running back onto the football field after what they said was cramps. <laughs> And here was Lamar Jackson after the game talking about what happened to him. I was cramping. I ain't putting a Paul Pierce. I didn't put a Paul Pierce. I, I was cramping. Ferrario, I think you have a tinfoil Ferrario theory on this. I do. What was going on with Lamar Jackson last night in your Hold opinion? On, let me cue it up. All right, so we all know what's happened with Lamar Jackson this season, right? Like everyone just assumes Lamar has dropped off from an MVP. I'm guilty of this. He has. So what I think happened was John Harbaugh has been sick 
of the negativity towards Lamar Jackson. Oh, God. And so he said, Lamar, we're down. I need you to go in the locker room and make it look like you got something wrong. Head back there. And when we get the ball back, you're going to come out of the locker room on fourth and down, and you're going to drive this for a touchdown. And that's exactly what happened. They said he put on a Superman cape running out of that locker room. Well, guess what everyone's talking about today? Lamar Jackson is not the type of player that we've been talking about this season. He looked more like an MVP. Boom, John Harbaugh just made Lamar Jackson one of the top quarterbacks in the AFC once again. That's one of your worst tinfoil theories that I've ever heard. I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think so. I don't think so. They had they had McSorley was his name. That yeah. sounds made up. He, he was the quarterback. In college. Yeah, he blew his leg out. They said, just go in there, make it look bad for us. Lamar's going to come out. Nobody just comes trotting out of the locker room with fourth down and just jumps back onto the field and throws a touchdown. So I think that there's a very simple explanation for this. Uh. It's very clear to me that Lamar Jackson had the runs. <laughs> he, he had to go to the locker room. They said repeatedly on the broadcast, hey, we don't know what happened. Lamar's just, he went into the locker room. <laughs> he hasn't come out yet. It's like, yeah, well, let the man go to the restroom in peace. He hasn't come out yet because it hasn't come out yet. Well, listen, I, I can speak from experience with this as mm. somebody who was a runner and very recently, a few weeks ago, had a situation where I literally had to call my fiance to be able to take me to the gas station yep. because I didn't have a mask with me and you can't get in anywhere right now without having a mask on. So I had to have her bring me a mask so I could go into the gas station to be able to do my business, right? Lamar was like galloping. We've all done that waddle before, right? Going into the restroom. Yeah, that's the uh, I'm about to go in my pants waddle. He had that he had that waddle going back to the locker room. We saw it on the video. He nearly got hit in the face with the revolving door as he was going into the locker room, goes in, does his business, sees, I'm sure he was playing like words with friends on his phone, right? Lost track of time a little bit. Hears over the loudspeakers or has somebody come in. Lamar, Trish just got hurt, man. Trish just got hurt. It's two minute warning. We got to get out there. And Lamar runs back onto the field because nobody runs like that onto the field after you've been cramping. I don't know how much experience (laughs) you have with cramps for Ario, but in my experience, I tend to not be able to just sprint back onto the field for fourth and four, go right away, and, you know, make the play of the game. Maybe Lamar's a little different than me. Probably true. But I would imagine that that was probably a situation where he just had to use the restroom and wanted to go in peace, and none of us would give the man his peace. Well, well hold on a minute, BK. I, I don't know if you saw this audio, but I found audio of Lamar Jackson and John Harbaugh yesterday. Take a listen. Are you okay? Oh, I'm just pooping. You know how I be. When he came back out on the sidelines. Look, as somebody who has irritable bowel syndrome, I've seen that run before that Lamar Jackson did. Everyone saw him wave the door guy out of the way. That was get the F out of the way or I am about to go in my pants and we are about to have a catastrophe. But look, Twitter was incredible last night, BK. And I know we got a break to get to the junk drawer, but Twitter was sensational because I went down a rabbit hole of other players in pro sports that talked about, you know, cramps, no cramps, bowel movement. Yeah. So take a listen. This was from the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, Travis Ishikawa, I believe the name was, uh, talking about this. What happened? Just crap. <laughs> just a cramp? Yeah, just crap. So you told me what, what, what can you eat to help you make you feel better? Bananas. Yeah. Why, why bananas? Monkeys never crops. Uh, you know, monkey never crop. So how many did you have today? Three. How about three? <laughs> so, so that was the. And then this one was great too. Chan Ho Park with the Yankees. I had a lot of diarrhea. 
That's, that's what you want to know? Your manager said you were sick. Yeah, I had a, a diarrhea. Oh, no. That guy laughing in the background is Mariano Rivera in the middle of his post-game <laughs> press conference talking about this. So, Lamar, I'm just curious what he had to eat before that game, which made him have to run to the bathroom. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. I'm not interested in learning that. Uh, from the 509, <laughs> did BK just compare himself to Lamar Jackson? Also, from the 314, whenever I hear Lamar Jackson, all I can hear is BK. It's uncanny. Listen, (laughs) I was not trying to compare myself one for one with Lamar Jackson. He is a world class athlete. I am, well, not. Um, However, I do have experience with certain life issues similar to, I would imagine, every single one of you. And last night, all of us could relate to Lamar Jackson. We might not have been there in that we weren't playing a professional football game when that happened, but we've all been there where you're doing something important when duty does call right and so that was one of the rare times where we can actually totally relate to a professional athlete normally i have nothing in common nothing i am not as athletic as them i would get hit once and immediately be put on injured reserve for the rest of my career and then retire immediately (laughs) i have very little in common with these people however I do have that in common because I have done that in some of my athletic ventures. Well, you think that's bad? Imagine being an NHL goaltender and having that problem. Like there were there were stories in the past. Like I remember, like Chris Osgood, what do you, do? you have to go to the back and just take everything off. Luongo had it happen to him before, and he put it out on Twitter saying, "I've been there before and I've seen that run before." So, like, imagine all of that gear you have to take off to to just that quick and get back to a hockey game. I think he just had a, a very important rapid uh, words with friends game. He lost track of time. He was sitting there in the bathroom. They told him, "Hey, you got to be back out." And he re- he went out there, won the game for his damn team ended up going that way what an unbelievable game best game i've seen uh regular season wise since the chiefs versus the rams game and lamar jackson the hero that we all need not the one that we knew that we needed though just like john harbaugh uh, planned it he's alex ferrario i'm brandon kiley we'll dive into the junk drawer coming up next we're back to the ribs and bk podcast on 101 espn Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on a 101 ESPN. Eric Edholm of Yahoo Sports going to join us here in about 10 minutes to talk about the NFL week that was. How many NFL contenders could actually win the Super Bowl this year? We'll ask Eric Edholm coming up in about 10 minutes. I've got a bit of a warning for Alex Ferrario, though, here today in the junk drawer. Okay. Uh oh. Ferrario is just months away from having his first child. Three months. And when that child comes into this world, soon enough, that child, that little baby, is going to be playing on Alex Ferrario's phone. We all know how this goes, right? Yeah. If you have a kid, you know it it happens fast. Where suddenly, for whatever reason, these kids love playing with your phones, right? And they'll find games, and those games will suddenly become something that entertains them, potentially, if you allow it, for hours on end. And it will, because it's the way you keep them quiet. The, the problem is, some of these games are rather predatory. And what? suddenly, you could end up like George Johnson, a six-year-old who recently racked up $16,000 in Apple App Store charges for his favorite video game, Sonic Forces. This, of course, left his mother in shock. Again, $16,000 in charges based on playing Sonic on his mother's phone. So what happened here with this story 
is that this woman, her name is Jessica George, she discovered some uh, some smaller sums of money that were paid from whether it be Apple or PayPal. It was on her account, right? Mm -hmm. She's like, I don't know where these are coming from because they're not itemized. It, it didn't really show much of what the charges were. So she calls Chase, her, her bank account. She's like, hey, what are these? She calls PayPal and they're like, hey, both of them said probably fraud. We'll look into it, right? So they keep looking into it, keep looking into it. Eventually they tell her, hey, actually, these are coming from Apple. So you should call Apple and they'll get this taken care of for you. Well, it was about at this point, two and a half months after some of the charges had been made. So she calls Apple and they tell her, hey, there's nothing we can do about this because it's more than two months removed from when these charges were. So Jessica is now stuck with $16,293 in charges for a Sonic the Hedgehog game that her six-year-old son named George was playing on her phone. So it was her phone then? Her phone, but his game. So, for, first of all, you can call Apple and you can tell them, be like, hey, look, my kid did this because I she used did. that she excuse. Tried. And Apple didn't it give was it back. Too far, too far removed from when the charges took place. They said 60 days is the the, the breaking point, apparently, okay, for them now, where they can no longer get rid of that. Now I got a problem with the creator of that game because what do, <laughs> well, you, yeah. what do you need $16,000 for for video? I know these games can be predatory, but $16,000 worth? And I'm not a parent yet, so I would never tell a parent what to do. But I would imagine when your kid's using your phone, you might want to take the uh, the instant credit card option off of the phone for them. So probably that would be one way to do it. Uh, again. Uh, 65780 <laughs> is the Air Comfort Service X line, though. A lot of these games, you don't even know that they charge you. Oh, like, God, it's yeah. a free game to play. But then what they do, they, they kind of show in this in this story, what they do on this game in particular is at a certain point, they will allow you to purchase these rings, right? Mm -hmm. Which allow you to go further in the game. So you've got gold rings or red rings. The red rings are anywhere from like $1.99 to $99.99. The gold rings, you can spend like $100 to $200 on these things on a one-time purchase. And it's just like you click it and you move forward and you get all of these free rings, quote unquote free, Damn by paying Sonic. for them. So for her, she was like, I had no idea that he was even able to spend any money on these games. I thought there was fraud on my card. I never put two and two together that the two were related because I didn't know that you could do this. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. I would love to hear from some of our listeners as well. I obviously do not have children. I have no experience with this. You have not gotten there yet, Ferrario. No. I can't imagine, or I would imagine, that this is something that happens more regularly than I would imagine because there are games like this all over the place. There's apps that yeah. I use where it's like, hold on, I'm not paying for anything. Right. This was a free app, and now suddenly you're asking me $100? No. Or you see a $17 charge on your card. You're like, wait, 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 wait a minute. Yeah. I have a great story about this, too. Uh, a cousin of mine, which every Italian story must start with a cousin of mine, but when he was eight years old, his mom found a bill from their television provider and he had spent over a thousand dollars on adult entertainment Oh God! and he was just buying it and buying it and buying it and then they didn't know until the month after when all of these bills came in oh boy so uh i'm looking forward to uh to having children speaking of having children bk real uh -oh. quick um how much are you into the red zone Red Zone Channel? Yeah. yeah oh, like when it's on. It's how I watch football. Is there Sundays. any way to take your mind off of it? 
Well, yeah. I mean, Sunday, I was telling you, like, the, the niece and nephew, Kara's mm-hmm. niece and nephew were over. And so we were playing with them for, for a decent portion of the day. But, yeah, I mean, that that's something else going on. You got to take your mind what away about, from it, right? uh, What about intimate opportunities with your significant other? Would that take you away from the red zone? Listen. <laughs> I'm not married. That's true. Okay. <laughs> Hypothetically, when you are married, BK. Hypothetically speaking, I, I would imagine that, you know, if, if that were to happen, it, it happens. Well, that's not the case for Sean McVay with the Rams, uh, because apparently his fiance uh, on his day off, who was watching the red zone, uh, asked if Sean would like to uh, do anything other than watching the red zone. Anything besides the red zone. Wink, wink. Sean declined. Sean said, Nope, not right now. Sorry, red zone's on. So, um, if you are at home and you do not know what Sean McVay's wife looks like, I uh, would... Supermodel. Uh, quick Google search. Yep. <laughs> she was yep. a part of Hard Knocks this year. Sean McVay was a significant part of Hard Knocks this year. <laughs> uh, poor decision making on his part. Yeah, not for the red zone, man. I know it's your work, but uh, I think I would find a way to go back and do some uh, tape. Also, is it really his work? Like, we can claim it's our work, right? We yeah. got to talk about all of those games on Monday morning. Yeah. Sean McVay isn't game planning yeah. based on what he sees on red zone. You got a coaching staff that'll take care of that, and you can take yourself away for, uh, I-, I don't know, five to 35 minutes, Sean. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. Speaking of Sean McVay, the Rams. Rams are a really interesting team this year. Nobody believes in them. Nobody as a realistic candidate to make it out of the NFC to win the Super Bowl. Except they're just one game back of the Packers and the Saints for the number one seed in the NFC. Should we be taking them more seriously? Well, that's that of Eric Adholm. He's an NFL and NFL draft analyst for Yahoo Sports. He's going to join us coming up next on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Thrilled to go out to the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. My guy, Eric Edholm. He's an NFL and NFL draft analyst for Yahoo Sports. He's joining us here on BK and Ferrario. Edholm, it's been way too long, man. How you doing today? Yeah, it's been a minute. It's good to hear your voice. Everything's good on this end. Hope you guys are doing well. Absolutely. So we're going to get into some NFL talk with you, but I know you're a Mizzou guy as well. What are you thinking of both Eli Drinkwitz's first year on campus and what you've seen so far from this basketball team? Yeah, I mean, obviously last week didn't go, I think, (laughs) as the the staff plan, but I I think if you're a Missouri fan, you have to be thrilled what you've seen. I mean, all the predictions about a – you know, a three and seven season and the loss to Tennessee, obviously the team looked like it was going to be in, a, in that rebuilding mode. And, you know, Connor Basilax played well. The defense has made some plays this season. You know, this kind of mishmash group of receivers has stepped up when they've needed them to the run games there. So there's just a lot of excitement and, and they just, you know, they're simply lacking some pieces. So for them to be competitive and pull off some of these big wins that they've had, it's been pretty exciting. I got to chat with them down at the senior bowl last year. And I, I don't know, there was just a, a, a confidence about him, like mm-hmm. in the way he spoke that just, I'm sure it's come through to everybody who's, who's paid attention this season. It's been awesome to watch, man. I absolutely love it. One quick follow-up on that. I know for Mizzou fans, Nick Bolton's a guy that we have yeah. uh, grown to know and love, and he's the one hell of a football player. What's his NFL draft stock look like right now after what's been a pretty incredible season for him once again? Yeah, I think pretty strong. Obviously, I mean, the the unfortunate targeting penalty, I think, was, was pretty unfair for him. And it cost him, you know, the second half against, uh, Al- I mean, against Arkansas. And I didn't, to be honest, I thought that may have been one of his worst halves all season. I mean, he's played so well that, you know, the expectation level has been raised. I mean, 
you know, inside linebackers, you know, it's it's hard to sort of project what the value, the positional value is going to be. Some teams still think it's pretty high. Others do not in this modern era. Is he going to test like an elite athlete? Probably not, right? And he's not a massive guy. I mean, size-wise, he's, he's considered average. But, you know, the, the playing temperament, the toughness, the instincts, you know, it's it's a lot like a, a smaller Sean Weatherspoon, you know, from a generation ago, I think, in the sense that, you know, the, the, the instincts and the football IQ, I think, are going to serve him very well. And for a team that needs a tone setter like the Dolphins or you watch the Browns last night struggle with Lamar Jackson, that's the kind of player they, they might just reach for. So I think somewhere between the late first and early second round figures to be where, where he go, goes off the board. All right, Eric, uh, last night, Monday Night Football, in my opinion, the game of the year so far in the NFL. But uh, who's the better team now when it comes to the AFC of the two? Is it Baltimore or is it Cleveland? <laughs> I mean, head to head, right? I mean, Baltimore has been able to do some <laughs> some things against that Browns defense this year. And, uh, you know, that's maybe a different discussion, though. If you want to know which one has, you know, maybe the, the staying power or can take, you know, take a team like the, the Bills or Chiefs to, to the wire, you know, what the Browns showed last night offensively, that just the, the diversity in their offensive attack. Kevin Stefanski's done such a nice job figuring out what he has, what he doesn't, and shaping the, you know, the play calling around that. They built up the offensive line. I mean, that's a tough group to stop right now. You know, after the way Baker Mayfield started this season, I think there was plenty of reasonable doubt as to what kind of year they might have and whether they could beat the big boys and hang in, in that kind of company. But you know, these last two games, even if the defense was very giving last night, I mean, it, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This this Browns team is suddenly very exciting. We'll see. I mean, the Ravens are hard to figure out. Uh, one week they look great, the next kind of listless, but they're certainly back in the mix of the, of the playoff race. Eric Edholm joining us here on 101 ESPN. He's an NFL and NFL draft analyst for Yahoo Sports. Follow him on Twitter at Eric underscore Edholm. Eric, kind of the natural follow-up question there is like, as a Chiefs fan myself, the two teams that scare me the most in the AFC in the playoffs are the Browns and the Titans right now, just yep. because I, I think you have to have the offense to be able to keep up with the Chiefs, and for me, those are the two teams that kind of do things the way that I've seen teams teams kind of give the Chiefs troubles in the past. Is that right in your opinion, or are there other teams that you would be more afraid of in the AFC postseason? Yeah, it might surprise people, but the Titans have scored only 13 fewer points off the top of my head. It's somewhere right around there. Basically two touchdowns fewer than the Chiefs all season long. Like they're, you know, they're right up there with a team that can absolutely fill it up. They just do it in such a different way. But yeah, I agree. I, there's there's no doubt in my mind that after last year's playoff meeting, I think there's a good sense of what the Titans would need to do. The Bills obviously saw the Chiefs earlier in the year. You know, it, it felt like they were constantly a step behind Buffalo was, but I'd argue they've they've improved, especially if their defensive effort against the Steelers is more of what we're going to be seeing going forward, more close to what they've they've become over the last couple of years. The start of the season you know, it was hard to know. Does this this Bills defense just take a step back? Are they why are they missing their gaps? Why are they, you know, missing tackles? It was it was surprising to see. But Leslie Frazier and, and Sean McDermott have done a good job. And you know, the Titans issues at cornerback aren't gonna go away. So that that frightens me in a in a matchup against the Chiefs, but they can get some pressure, they've got some speed on defense and those safeties can make plays. So you're right. I think those are the two that Fairly, I mean, even with the Browns showing what they can do on their best days, I would still say that the, the Bills and Titans right now pose a little bigger threats.
So, Eric, in the AFC, other than a couple of teams, I think we all can agree it's pretty cut and dry when it comes to the, the, the favorites in that conference. But but the NFC is like a puzzle that you've lost pieces and you don't know where the hell to find them. <laughs> right. Like, like how, do, how do you look at this NFC and break these teams down? I mean, you know, obviously I think there's a sense that, okay, maybe the Packers have now kind of regained that, that you know, supremacy, if you will, and Aaron Rodgers playing at the level he is. You know, on, on his best day, they can pretty much beat anybody. You know, but that that Packers defense and their special teams mistakes have really kind of kept me from from really anointing them the top team or the one to beat or anything like that. The Saints are in their own kind of category. I mean, does it feel like a ten and three team right now? I'd argue no, but maybe if Breeze comes back, there's something there. I just know that the last couple of years in the playoffs. Breeze's play has kind of hit a wall and they've had these heartbreaking, you know, defeats the last couple of years. So they're a tough one to figure out. Uh, The the Rams are probably the team. And I don't know if this is good news or bad news for your listeners. (laughs) I'm sure there's some who clearly follow things still, but I don't know. I, there's, there's something about them that frankly, I didn't think they had at the beginning of the year that, you know, it wouldn't shock me if they're a really tough team to beat and if they end up making a little bit of a run and, and making some noise. And, you know, Seattle was the club that I think everybody felt like, hey, you've got Russell Wilson. They should be better defensively. There's a run game suddenly, but it just hasn't come together in, in recent games. And I just have some real reservations all of a sudden about them why don't we believe in the rams as like a football watching community because they're nine and four they're one game back of the one seed in the nfc which feels impossible but it's true (laughs) they two of those losses have come against the 49ers who they're not going to see in the playoffs this year is it as simple as we just don't believe in jared goff or is is there something more to this for why we're not believing in the rams right now because they seem to me like if goff is good goff and we have no reason to believe that that's going to be the case but if he is I think they're the most complete team in the NFC right now you might be right about that I've sort of been leaning that way in the last couple weeks obviously again with the you know the Packers possibility maybe the Seahawks turn this thing around whatever but yeah I've sort of you know and and maybe I put too much stock in the win over New England because it was impressive in all facets right I mean even with Goff's pick and a couple little plays here and there I mean who knows? Was that a personal vendetta for the Super Bowl loss? And, you know, McVay had been, you know, plan- game planning this thing for months, perhaps. But really, I think you're right about that. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's about not wanting to put Goff in those tough spots where he's got to rally them back. Or, you know, I know he did it in the NFC title game against the Saints, but they were only down one score at that point. I, I sort of feel like when they can play from ahead, and we all know that stat about Sean McVay with a halftime lead, but if they – if they can kind of control the action, they're a better team. And it's, you know, to those, those 49ers losses, Robert Saleh, their defensive coordinator, just seems to have their number. And nobody else has really been able to truly replicate that, that same formula and beat them in the same way. I mean, the Dolphins convincingly beat them, but I wouldn't say there, there were in two other times where teams have been able to do what the 49ers have done to them defensively. Last question for you. We're talking with Eric Edholm, NFL and NFL draft analyst for Yahoo Sports. It is the conversation that is sweeping the sports talk radio interwebs uh, at home. Who's the MVP right now for you? It feels like it's a dead heat between Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers, but who would you have today? I mean, 
it's really it's kind of what you what you put your priorities into right and you know and there's obviously the derrick henry people out there and we'll just push them to the side gently for now i mean look i, I love derrick henry but do i realistically think he's going to beat either one of those guys out no you know if if you love the freewheeling you know breathtaking throws that, that mahomes makes and you know see all the wizardry he throws out there every week that's going to be your guy not that Aaron Rodgers can't do some of that stuff. Of course he can. But for him, it's more about the efficiency, right? I mean, he has four interceptions on the year. Mahomes had three on Sunday. So, you know, that it's almost like the hoop. how much stock do you put into the touchdown to interception ratio and those, you know, high efficiency type of numbers. So uh, it, it's tough. I, I, I suspect people are always looking to try to give somebody new a shot, even if Rodgers has been around forever. You know, I, I feel like Mahomes has almost been, uh, I don't know. People are almost like, yeah, he's amazing. He's in his own he's category. Boring. But, it, it's know, true. Like, he's boring now. Yeah, right. I mean, I don't want to say that because it's not true. But, yeah, I know it's exactly what you mean. And that's, that's I wonder if that factor doesn't doesn't play into the voting a little bit, especially if they – you know, if they can seal that number one seed. I don't know. It's a, it's a great question. Hey, Eric, real quick, I thought my guy BK was going to ask the, the important question that's sweeping the nation right now. Uh, was it a cramp or a bowel movement for Lamar <laughs> Jackson last night? Hey, he, he claims that, that it was a cramp. He said it wasn't a Paul Pierce situation. This is we got to take him at his word until we get further evidence. Although, come, come on, no, Eric. You, you do. Eric, we do not. Eric, we all know that run that he was going to the locker room with. Yeah, oh, exactly. Oh, yeah, different kind of run. Yeah, right. And, <laughs> I don't think we really want to see the evidence either. You know what I mean? No. <laughs> As they said in Spinal Tap, best left unsolved, really. Amen. Know? Amen, brother. He's Eric at home. You can find his work on Yahoo Sports. He is one of the best in the business, in my opinion. Follow him on Twitter, at Eric underscore at home. Man, always appreciate the time. All the best to you and the family. Stay safe, stay healthy, and have a happy holidays, bud. I appreciate that very much. You guys as well. Thank you. Absolutely. That's Eric at home joining us here on 101 ESPN. It's 115. Your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers and officially licensed Rolex jeweler. He did mention briefly there at the end. Hey, you know, we got to talk about Derrick Henry. I'll, I'll put him off to the side. He's kind of in this conversation as well. And then answered the question that I had pre- previously asked. Are we going to see Derrick Henry rush for 2000 yards this year? He's at 1532 yards on the season. He has three games remaining against the Lions, the Packers, and the Texans. All three teams, not good at defending the run. Horrible. Yeah. Like, arguably, I I don't have the stats in front of me, but at the very minimum, three of the worst teams at stopping the run in all of football. If he runs runs for 2,000 yards this season, it's going to be really hard not to at least give him any sort of consideration. You know, like, I, I don't think he will win it. But he at least has to get some consideration at that point. So on the year, the Texans are 31st against the run. Uh, The Lions are 29th against the run. And the Packers are a little bit better against the run. They're top 15 in the league. But in terms of a yard per carry average, they're not good. Well, and the touchdowns in favor of Dalvin Cook rushing touchdowns. But if you go back and look at what Peterson did when he won the MVP, it's pretty comparable to what uh, Derrick Henry would do if he did eclipse the 2000 mark. The one difference, though? There wasn't a Patrick Mahomes or Aaron Rodgers season that year. Very true. He's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, let's play a game of Bet It or Forget It. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Bet It or Forget It. Major League Baseball is actually going to play a full 162-game season next year. We'll give you our answer on that. Coming up on 101 ESPN. 
We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Brandon Kylie, it's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. 65780 is the air comfort service tax line for bet it or forget it. Let's start with this one, Ferrario. Bet it or forget it. Major League Baseball is going to come together with the MLBPA and they will play a full 162 game season in 2021. Mm. Do you really say come together? Come together in MLB does not go together right now. I'm forgetting this. I don't even think we're. I'm with you. I think we're looking at somewhere between 80 and 120 games. I would actually say it's closer to the 100 mark. Yeah. At least from what the owners are saying, because we just saw how stubborn the owners can be in these conversations. And if the owner's dangling point is a DH, that's not going to get you very far because the players are like, nah, screw the DH. We love it, but we don't care. You know? There's no way that this is a 162-game schedule. If the, if the sole purpose right now for Major League Baseball is to make sure that these players are vaccinated, you're looking at April, May, maybe even June before you can even talk about training camps. You got to forget it. And it makes me, it's just infuriating yeah. to me. Um, it, I don't think they're going to play a full 162. I think they could play a full 162 if they wanted to, and I don't think the owners want to. Or at least I think there's a significant enough number of the owners that don't want to play a full 162 that that's the route that we're going to go. I'm with you. I think in the end, what the owners are trying to accomplish here is they would like to play 162 games-ish over the 2020 and 2021 seasons combined. Yeah. So I think around 100 games is probably what we're going to get next year. And I don't know that there are many teams in all of baseball that will be hurt more by that than the St. Louis Cardinals. Because it's going to once again cut into your evaluation period. Yeah, without question. And you know, the other part with this one is you look at the NHL. The NHL can't survive if they're not in front of people for an entire season. Baseball will survive. Like baseball, it's not going to be pretty. But baseball knows that the fans will be there because it's the only thing going on in the summer. I think they're putting that at risk, though. You think so? Eventually. I mean, you remember 94, 95. Well, thing, I was four, so I, not much. Sure, but we, we've read about it <laughs> right. enough at this point that it put the sport at risk. And what brought everybody back to the stands or, you know, guys injecting steroids into their arms and then hitting 100 home runs in a season, right? right? Like, that's what it took for baseball to be back on the national stage at a really high level, what's it going to take this time around? More steroids. For, I don't know what it is, but <laughs> there, there's going to have to be something that is done to be able to win over the fans again. Especially, like Here in St. Louis, if we go 2020 with a 60-game season, 2021 with 100 games, 2022 maybe with a work stoppage, man, that is now three years in a row that has been l- ruined by labor strife. Yeah. Eventually, people just get sick of your bickering back and forth, especially with how much crap everybody's going through right now. Yeah. They are they are really trying to make sure that their fans don't come back in a time when you should be doing the opposite. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. Bet it or forget it. Vince Dunn will play the entire 2021 season with the St. Louis Blues. I'm going to bet it, and here's why. If he starts the season with the Blues, he's finishing the season with the Blues. But I'm not sure if he starts the season with the Blues. I I mean, I I hear what JR told us, but the more I think about it, you got Tory Krug, who's a smaller-statured defenseman who's offensively gifted. 
That's the exact same description of a Vince Dunn. You're kind of on the you're kind of on the minimum side when it comes to big heavy defensemen. And I think if you have Vince Dunn, if you have Scott Perunovich in your system, and of course Krug, you don't have a lot of big guys on the left side. So if Vince Dunn signs, he's going to be here because Doug Armstrong views him as a top four defenseman. But I'm not 100% sold with what, with everything that's been going on and the leverage that he doesn't have, him being unsigned still, I'm not so sure if he's going to even suit up for the Blues this season. It's concerning to me as well. I think he... I will go ahead and bet it, but I have my reservations. And one of the main reasons for doing so is because what happens if he remains unsigned whenever they get to training camp? Yeah. And whether it be Mikola or Perunovic shows out really well at camp. Then what do they do? Because if one of those two is ready, if they are prepared to be a third pairing defenseman on that left side, well, they're going to come in cheaper. It might open up some room for you to be able to go out and add another top six forward from the free agency market. And then Vince Dunn doesn't really have a role on this team. Vince Dunn's a good player. This is not me taking a shot at him, but if you've got a guy that can give you basically what he does, especially if it's Perunovic that shows up more prepared than you were expecting, it's almost a one for one. Right. And you look at like, okay, so, but wait, BK, what about the power play? Okay, let's think about for the power play for a second. Who's going to be quarterbacking that? Well, one of them we know is Tori Krug. He's going to probably be your power play on that first unit. And then you could probably give some of that role to Justin Falk on the second unit. Perunovic, you would think, eventually could maybe develop into a guy that can do that. And you still have a Colton Pareko who can hit the puck harder than anybody on that team. Yeah, and so it it becomes kind of this this question of, okay, what is the salary versus the reward versus the risk of that salary, yeah. if you will? It all comes down to whether or not one of those two guys is ready. If they are and Vince Dunn isn't there, that's when things could really get interesting. But for the time being, I'm still going to operate under the assumption that he's back for next the, the, year. Real quick, BK, the big thing with this one, too, is, I mean, look, if they view him as a top four defenseman, he's not a top four defenseman on this team. Krug and Scandella are top four yep. defensemen on this team without question. Vince Dunn can be. But if he's not going to get the opportunity to be a top four defenseman, you're not going to evolve into two top four defensemen. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service tax line. Better to forget it. The Cardinals will sign an outfielder for more than $3 million this offseason. Wait, say that again? Hold on. Bet it or forget it. Yachty the Malin. Cardinals will sign an outfielder, oh, outfielder. for more than $3 million this, you said Yachty for this offseason. Forgetting it. I, I mean, I, I say that with ease. And we talked about the platoons and talked about the upgrade offensively, but they're not going to spend $3 million on an outfielder because frankly, there are no outfielders that are worth $3 million right now. David Dahl was the one guy you had a shot at for getting less than $5 million. Jock Peterson, World Series champion, he's not signing for $3 million. Neither is Schwarber, Rosario, any guy that upgrades this team offensively is not going to happen. So I'm forgetting it because if they're signing anybody, it's going to be $3 million or less. It's going to be in the infield. Hence, it's Brad Miller. I actually think that they're going to start Matt Carpenter every day next year. I think that's going to happen. Well, I don't think you're going to get an infielder because I, I, what you just said about the outfielders, I do think there's a couple of guys that we haven't talked a ton about that could maybe be in this type of a range. Like Robbie Grossman is an outfielder that's available. He played for the A's. <laughs> oh, okay. He's fine. Uh, he's somebody that could be out there. Brian Goodwin is a left-handed bat that has a little bit of power. He kind of produces at a similar level to the guys that we've talked a lot about. Uh, maybe he's a guy that they approach for less than $3 million. 
that same thing is not true on the infield. I don't think that exists, that it brings what they're looking for for that price range. Jonathan Scope. He's going to be more. He's probably going to be, I would think, like five million, six million bucks. Maybe. So he would be over that route hey, as well. This is a guy who just played for Detroit and Baltimore for the last five years. You I think he'd you. go to St. Louis for three mil? I'm going to bet it. I'm going to bet it that they sign somebody for over $3 million in the outfield. I don't know who it will be. I was going to say, who do you think that's going to be? Because Mo said he's not going to be left at the altar. And that's why I, I wonder if they believe that there are so many left-handed hitting outfielders out there on the open market that they're going to be able to get whoever that last guy is and they don't really much care who it is. I don't know if it's going to be Rosario or Peterson or Schwarber. I don't know. I bet you they sign one of them later, probably February. And they add him to the roster for five and a half million dollars with incentives that can get it up from there. I'd take that bet. I would take that bet. Six, five, seven, eight, oh, is the air comfort service tax line for bet it or forget it from the three, one, four BK. Are you high? You really <laughs> believe that they're going to do this? I, I don't know. I don't know he if is. I believe it or not. He is. I want to believe it. I want to, with all my heart, believe that they're going to make this team better for all of us. Buddy, it's a it's a it's a short week for you. You should be optimistic every day. I was talking to one of my uh, one of my friends in KC that covers the Royals, and he told me that the Royals are in on these same guys that the Cardinals are in on in the outfield. And guess what? The Royals have a lot more money to spend. <laughs> I, with a straight face, I looked at him and I said, "You've got to be bleeping me." The Cardinals aren't even sure that they can afford these guys. Hey, the Royals will. How how can the Royals afford them? I don't understand. You said it the other day off air with me. The Royals have a better batting order than the Cardinals do right now. I think they do. And they're going to get better. You guys might think it's crazy, but go look at the go go one for one with the top six in the order. Royals versus Cardinals right now. And tell me which one you would take. And it is. I say that as someone who is a long-suffering Royals fan. I don't think they're going to be all that great next year. But given what they've done this offseason, it might be better than the than what the Cardinals you have done. You put the Cardinals pitching staff on the Royals hitting staff, you're talking about somebody who can compete. Yeah, that team wins the division. It's insanity. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Speaking of bet it or forget it, bet it or forget it, this, this, what we're about to talk about, would actually make Nolan Arenado an option for the Cardinals again. Tell you what that is coming up on 101 ESPN. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. Year plus ago, fellas, if you told me Nolan was going to get traded, I'd say, no way, it's not going to happen. Now, if we all read about it tomorrow or next week that he got traded to whether it be the Cardinals or, or another team um, for several players, I would not be shocked in the least bit. Okay, so that was Drew Goodman, Car- or not Cardinals broadcaster, Rockies broadcaster, last week with us talking about Nolan Arenado's future with Colorado. It's been at least five days since we've talked about Arenado, so I feel like it's time that we bring him up again. Yeah, that's that's a failure on our part. I was reading from Buster Olney the other day, and he said something really interesting that I think might actually bring the Cardinals back into play for Arenado. I know that sounds crazy, and at this point, I'm sure you're all as frustrated with this situation and as sick of hearing about it as I am. However, this is interesting for Buster Olney. Quote, I asked evaluators what Arenado could get in the open market if you were a free agent right now. And the estimates that I heard were in the range of 100 to $125 million. If those educated guesses reflect the industry view as a whole, that would mean that the Rockies might be asked by any team interested in Arenado to eat a staggering amount of the $199 million that he is owed over the next six seasons. End quote. Again, that came from Buster Olney. Right after I read that, I read something from Nick Grokey 
I think it's Grokey, of the <laughs> Athletic Denver. He basically compared this situation to a trade that the Rockies previously made with Tulo. Now, when they traded Tulowitzki um, to the Blue Jays, they also took on Jose Reyes's deal. So what that meant is basically the Rockies were able to get rid of $50 million from Tulo's long-term deal, but they took on money with Jose Reyes, who they didn't actually want, but it was the only way that they were going to get rid of that extra money that they were previously scheduled to pay to Tulowitzki. He said that he wouldn't be surprised if in a trade for Nolan Arenado, the Rockies ended up taking on some sort of a veteran, so that way it makes the salaries a little easier. He went so far as to say the Cardinals would fit perfectly in this way, except their aging veterans, Matt Carpenter and Dexter Fowler, have no trade clauses in their contracts, end quote. What if, what if, Ferrario, let's put on our Mo bow tie here for a second. What if the Rockies general manager gave a call to John Mosaloc? He said, hey, Mo, we would love to talk about Matt Carpenter and some prospects for Nolan Arenado. What that means is for this upcoming year when all of us are hurting financially, right? You're getting rid of Matt Carpenter's $18 million on the books. And now you're going to take back $30 million by way of Nolan Arenado. But it's basically you're adding $12 million in payroll for this upcoming season. And maybe we'll even pay down. It's going to be $25 million for the seasons after that. It's not going to be 30 anymore. It's going to be $25 million for you for the five seasons after 2021. Are you interested in this deal for Nolan Arenado? Well, that's cute. Hell yeah, I'm interested in this. Even with the motai on, I'm interested in this. Because look, it's not great because it's only a year of $18.5 million for yeah. Carpenter. So it doesn't help you out. But it does bridge that gap from no or uncertain amount of fans in the stands to a full season expected back to normal. So if you're offsetting that and you're taking on a player of Nolan Arenado's ilk, and you're paying $12 million for this season, and then on top of that, if it's able to shift down, which, look, that will be the part that I'm curious about. Would Colorado be willing to say, oh, we'll pay the next $5 million for the next six years? Bet you they would if you were willing to make it worth their time and with the prospect. But that's the problem, and it comes to the prospect. And much like it's different from Cleveland because I think Colorado wants young pitching, although I remember Drew Goodman telling us Colorado's set up with pitching right now. They got young players that are good if they can stay healthy. But it comes back to the question of what's the offer? Because does Nolan Gorman get it done? Because then I think I'm at least considering this because $25 million for Nolan Arenado for the entirety of his career, you're able to offset Matt Carpenter. It's a deal that works out. But if we're talking Dylan Carlson, that's a non-starter. It's a non-starter. We already know that it's a non-starter. But I feel like no matter what team is going to call the Cardinals, that's where it starts. And I think other teams like the Dodgers, would be willing to give up on top prospects, especially if financially it benefits their team. Yeah, and that's where I'm at on this. I, After listening to a lot of people talk about where the Rockies are, and we talked with Drew Goodman about this, if you missed it, 101ESPN.com, the 101ESPN app, all presented by I Promise. You can check out the podcast. I thought it was a really good conversation with him. It seems to me like the Rockies would love, love nothing more than to get rid of that contract at this point. And for him, for... um. For Arenado, he doesn't want to opt out after this no. year because, like you just heard from Buster Olney, he's probably not going to make this money back. He's got $200 million right now coming to him if he just opts into this contract at the end of the upcoming season. If he opts out, though, 
it might be half of that Mm -hmm. on the open market. And by the way, that could also mean that the Cardinals are in on it. If he ends up opting out after the year because he really does, all he wants is to win and he's willing to give up $100 million, doubt it. (laughs) If he's willing to do that, well, then suddenly maybe you do see the Cardinals get back in on this on a four-year $100 million deal for Nolan Arenado. But for right now, if it ends up where the Rockies are willing to eat five, ten million dollars and you're able to send off Matt Carpenter's deal in this. So that's your third base opening up roster spot wise and payroll wise. You're basically paying ten million dollars next year extra to upgrade from Matt Carpenter to Nolan Arenado. OK, I can deal with that. Now you don't even have to go get that outfielder we've been talking about. You save the money there. Five, six million. You bring back Wayno and Yachty. Boom. Let's go. I know you got this. a competitive team. Now you're really talking about right. a, a team that can compete this upcoming season. I think what it would take is probably what you said, though. You'd probably have to give up Nolan Gorman. Maybe you'd be able to get with Yvonne Herrera, but I don't think the Cardinals would want to do that. I think you're going to have to Maybe give Kisner. up. I think you're going to have to give up a pitch or two, and it's probably going to be Zach Thompson's name. And I think if I'm the Cardinals, I'd look into that. Yeah. I mean, you have so many pitchers right now coming through. You have a ton of young starters, and you've got a lot of guys that you really like. So many that next year, we don't know how many of them are even going to be able to get starts for this team. Yeah. The following season, who knows what the rotation is going to look like in terms of which guys are actually in that rotation. Zach Thompson projects to be a really good player for them. But if it takes Zach Thompson to be able to acquire Nolan Arenado at a reduced rate, well, that's the type of inter- type of deal that I would be interested in. There is one follow-up question to this, though, that I think is worth discussing. What does that mean for next year's class? Because if you add Nolan Arenado, you're basically punting on being in on any of those shortstops next year. So if I asked you right now, Ferrario, would you be willing to take on Arenado this offseason and the type of deal that we were just discussing if that means you know you're not going to be in on any of those shortstops next year. Is that worth it to you? Yeah, because you know what? They're, Arenado's guaranteed. And, and here's my mindset on this, and I was just about to say it, so I'm glad you got to it. If you're able to acquire an Arenado, you don't have to go into the competition of signing one of these free agents. And frankly, I don't think you can win that competition of signing one of these free agents because I think you're going to be in competition with teams that are willing to blow out their wallets to get one of these players because you're going to be back to normal. You're going to be competing with the Yankees. You're going to be competing with the Dodgers, the Astros, the Cubs. You're going to be competing with all of these teams that are willing to pay the money that they need to pay. Whereas if you're able to acquire Nolan Arenado and pay $25 million rather than $30 million, yes, you're committed to him, but you know what you're not committed to, BK? You're not committed to a 7, 8, 9, 10-year contract, which is what is going exactly. to be for these guys. So I would do this in a heartbeat, and I would be satisfied with it because Arenado is the Cardinals type of player. He's a face of the franchise that you could have for the next six to seven seasons. You can compete, and you're not spending 30, 35, 40 million dollars on these players, which means you can acquire and add other areas to your team. So yeah, Arenado makes more sense than these shortstops do. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show from the three one four guys. You know that John Mozeliak's not going to spend that kind of money on a player. A contraire, uh, he, he did. French, he did spend that kind of money. Paul Goldschmidt was at a very similar point in his career. So um, going into next year. It'll be Nolan Arenado's thir- age 30 season. Mm-hmm. When Paul Goldschmidt was traded to the Cardinals, he was 31 years old. The Cardinals immediately gave him a five-year, $130 million contract after that. 
It's basically what it's we're talking million about million dollars. Yeah. yeah. It's basically the same type of a deal that we're talking about for Nolan Arnato. We also had another text coming in from the 314. Guys, Nolan Arnato has entered his decline. Please do not go out and get him. We have one year to suggest that he is not the same player that he previously And it was, was a shortened season. It was a shortened, weird year where he did have an injury, and maybe that's where you're coming up with. You'd be worried about that, and I, I get it. But even in that strange year, he had a 740 OPS, which is fine. It's yeah. not good, but if, if that is what a down year looks like for Nolan Arnato and he bounces back next season, I'm not in the least bit concerned about well, that. And so. here, here's the thing, too. Would you rather have Arenado, who's a guaranteed player, or would you rather have nothing? Because that's what you're putting at risk if you go into the free agency next year and try and get one of these shortstops. When was the last time that the Cardinals came out on top for a free agent signing? Dexter Fowler? For, for a big one. For Okay, but for an elite talent. When was the last time that they came on top? I, I mean, I can't think of the last time that they've done that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been more than a decade. David Price, you were second because you weren't willing to go to that next money that Boston was doing. And guess what? Weren't interested in Scherzer. I mean, it, yeah, and, it, it's it's not their it's not their yeah, it's and, not their route that they. And guess what? Take. If you weren't willing to pay the money for David Price, who was in decline, that we all know, but he still got that money from Boston. You're not going to be willing to go over the top against the Yankees, the the Dodgers, the Cubs, the Astros, the Blue Jays. It's it's a competition you're not going to win, but Arenado, it's a competition you could win now. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service tax line uh, from the six one eight guys. Doesn't Matt Carpenter have a no trade clause though? Wouldn't that change things? And couldn't that be problematic? Absolutely. Yeah. If if he decided that he wanted to um, nix this trade, he could he could do so. But that, I do remember him saying last year, which again, this is tinfoil Ferrario, but I do remember him talking about because the speculation of Nolan Arenado trade. And he said, look, I want to be in St. Louis, but I'm not going to stand in the way of the Cardinals upgrading their team. Yeah. And that's, that's the type of guy that you'd expect Carpenter to be. I don't know if he would actually go through with that. If it became more real, as opposed to the hypothetical scenario, maybe it ends up instead of maybe Matt Carpenter says no. And Dexter Fowler's like, you know what? I lived in Denver. I like Denver. I could do it. It's fine. Uh, For one year, I'll go out there. I'll start every day, play one more year uh, and kind of move on. Hopefully he gets his numbers up by playing out at Coors field. It it could be that route as well, right? Basically, what we're talking about here is how do you get a contract out from under your books Mm -hmm. to be able to bring in this bigger deal to make it a little easier in 2021? 95%, baby! (laughs) I am not there, but I do think this is the only way that a deal like this could happen for the Cardinals. If if the Rockies really are to the point now that they just want to get that salary off their books and they're willing to take on a bad one for one year— to get rid of this salary for the next six, that's the way that the Cardinals get back into this contention. Yep. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Coming up next, we'll cross things over with the fast lane. We're back to the Ribs and BK podcast on 101 ESPN. who donated to Care Currents Mallman's 12 Days of T-Shirts fundraiser. In total, we raised $13,316 to support the Little Bit Foundation to help local area students in need. Huge thanks also to all the sponsors, Massage Lux, Docs Harley-Davidson, T-Mobile, Allstate agent Tracy Bibb. You can still donate going over to the littlebitfoundation.org. Again, that is the littlebitfoundation.org to be able to donate still $13,316. Incredible. Thanks to all of you that were able to give 
to a very, very worthwhile cause. With Alex Ferrario, I'm Brandon Kiley, crossing things over with Anthony Stalter in studio for the Fast Lane. Stalter, how you doing? Good. That's awesome about the Little Bit Foundation, the 12, 12 Days incredible. t-shirt yeah. fundraiser. Not the least bit surprising, but incredible nonetheless. Um, you guys had quite the explosive interview yesterday to kick things off. Benji Molina, not holding back. He was Benji's Honest, always great, but yeah. And you know what, too? It, he doesn't. He'll say he'll say things, but he'll still make you read between the lines and still come up with your own ter- interpretations. But there was a there was a lot there that I thought he was very honest about, including the fact that he that Yachty does want to come back to St. Louis. He does want to stay here. But look, it's to to paraphrase Benji. It's going to be about the money. It's going to be about the Cardinals showing him a little bit of. Respect, at least respect in Yachty's eyes. And it sounds like there's there's a really big, you know, gap here between what Yachty wants and what the Cardinals want to pay him. The more I hear about these conversations, the more it takes me back to the Alex Petrangelo's front. And, and hearing Benji talk, you really believe now that the bridges have been burned and you really hope that they can be put back together. For the Petro thing, it... it Petro wanted everything he could to come back to St. Louis, but it came down to what he wanted. The same can be said about Yachty right now, and at least from Benji's eyes, there's a lot of disrespect, which after however many years he's put in with this Cardinals team, 18-plus, that's going to really solidify you coming back or not. I think to me, the one that reminds me of the Petro negotiations is Wayno, because Wayno's already come out a little bit more publicly himself and kind of done the softening of, hey, listen, I get it. I understand it. And we saw a lot of that from Petrangelo as well, when he seemingly knew that the writing was on the wall, right? Yachty's going to go a little different route. Um, it seems like Yachty's not afraid to be able to take a little bit of nudge and shots here and there. Um, I, I'm going to be fascinated to see where this goes over the next month or so, because I don't think it gets it doesn't seem to me like there's any sort of end in the very near future. You know, that same passion that we've all fallen in love with, fall in love with, with Yachty on the field, that he's still the same guy off the field as well. Yep. He, he plays with a chip on his shoulder. That is who he is. You heard it in the interview with Benji yesterday. Benji said, Yachty is not me. I'm, I'm a little bit more of, I'm going to think through every decision almost to, you know, at all ad nauseum. Yachty, He's emotional and he's he's ready. Okay, you don't want me? I'll go play someplace else. That is how he's built. So I think there's going to be a lot of animosity if he moves on. But ultimately, time does heal all wounds. And we have seen it before, whether it's Ozzie Smith or in football, Barry Sanders, guys eventually going back to the organization and being a part of it. But it's not going to be right away. And you will have... A lot of that same fire that you see from Yachty's playing time come out if if he moves on in the offseason. The hardest thing to do is coach and manage an aging superstar. And that's what the Cardinals have right now with Yachty or Molina. It's I, tough. I thought the hardest thing was to say goodbye. Okay, well, both. Isn't both that things. the song? I think they go it's hand so in hand here, actually. Yeah. I don't I know who so. sings it. Stoltz, what's coming up today on the Fast Lane, man? Well, we'll talk more, more about Yachty. We'll also talk about how do you how do you build an offense if you're the Cardinals? <laughs> and how do you do it when we know you're not going to make a bunch of free agent acquisitions? You trade Matt Carpenter and prospects for Nolan Arenado. 95% we, we just percent oh, Is that done? Then? 95 okay. It's All getting right. done. All right, fair enough. Yeah, well. That, We'll just replay what you guys said. And so there you go. That's how you do it. Damn straight. We'll get into last night's game, too, because that, that was a wild one. Incredible. Best regular season game since Rams Chiefs? That w- Yeah. Yeah, probably. 
kind of. I mean, the, prime time. Let's let's say that Let, prime prime time game. I would say yes. Cramp or poop? Cramp. <laughs> you don't even believe that. False. That's Alex Ferrario. I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. We'll be back tomorrow at 11. The fast lane coming up from two to six right here on 101 ESPN. Mm. You've been listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast, powered by I Promise.